I wish our winning were a bit more certain. Better call my friends at Halliburton. We will pay. So we stay. Rule the day. DC Land. On our way. DC Land. It's good to be in DC. Hooray! Hooray! With oil funds. Head shop. Cute buns. That's how we got to DC. Hello, you're listening to the Batman Universe specials feed, and we're going to be covering another convention. This one is called DC and DC 2018. I'm Josh, and joining me this time around is... Benjamin! So, uh, I guess you know that I'm in the Batman Universe, so... I guess let's continue. <laughs> yes, Ben was um, our intern who went with us to San Diego Comic-Con, and gosh darn it, no Donovan, no Stella, and... N- Nobody else was able to go to this DC thing, so, you know, Ben stepped up to the plate and uh, helped me cover the events in DC versus Better than everybody else, just so you know. (laughs) Um, So, before we get started on the convention events, just a question. Um, This is your second big convention assignment for the Batman universe. What's it like being an intern slash slave for a website such as (laughs) us? Slave? Okay, A, it's not my second day, it's been my second period, and B, pretty fun, I guess, because I'm not official, I can do it on my own time, it's great. So, this convention was um, held in Washington, D.C. over Martin Luther King Jr. weekend on... Woohoo! Yeah. On, um, I almost said December. On January 12th and January 13th, they only announced this, like, a month in advance, so um, it, it, it was very surprising, and it's different than the usual conventions, because instead of covering just comic media, they tried to cover serious subject matter, such as uh, race, <laughs> representation, diversity... Um, you know, uh, sexuality. They even make Gary serious somehow. Yeah, somehow. they even made, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, Gary Mariano, uh, Warner Brothers, um, animation publicity guy, who's always in his Tommy Bahama shirts, they even, uh, made an honest man out of him in business suit and ties, so. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. That was very surprising. So, the first night of the convention, um, you know, was Friday, um, January 12th, was just focused on Gotham by Gaslight, which is an adaptation of one of the very first Elseworlds, um, it's considered the first Elseworlds, but I mean, I guess you can argue that some of the stuff in the Silver Age, the imaginary stories were Elseworlds. So the um, press interviews were at 5.30, and uh, we didn't want Ben to miss too much of school because, you know, being an intern means that you have to also make good grades or Dustin's going to kick him out and fire him. So we, um, <laughs> so our okay. plane landed at 4 o'clock um, in, um, oh... I guess it was in Virginia at uh and the, and the interviews were in Washington DC during rush hour at 5:30 so we hightailed it in an Uber to get over there make sure that we Woo-hoo. were going to be late. We got to the museum and like we missed like the very beginning of the thing so when we first start this session the interview is actually going to already be in progress because unlike the jerks at New York Comic Con if you heard my New York Comic Con show you know what I'm talking about we, if you start, if you get to one of these things late, you just sit down. You don't announce that you're sitting down. You just sit down and join in. Um, you know, you don't, like, <laughs> interrupt someone's recording. I'm a little salty over someone that did that. So, the first interview that we had for Gotham by Gaslight was, um, Yuri Lowenthal, who was the voice of Harvey Dent. Jim Krieg, the screenwriter for this movie, who we also talked to a few months ago um, uh, for, uh, I almost said The Killing Joke, who we also talked to a few months ago for Batman and Harley Quinn. Scott Peterson, the voice of uh, 
a very different version of Commissioner Gordon, you know, an, an old school homeless cop. <laughs> you were so insistent about that. <laughs> Bruce Tim, executive producer, and the voice of Bruce Wayne, who also played the president in Kingsman, Bruce Greenwood. So before before we play those, do you have any comments about those interviews? Yeah, they were pretty fun. It's a good movie. I suggest you watch it. And it was it was the same way with this one. Mm-hmm. I had to not freak out, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then they had to. We had to sort of talk about it a little bit and mm-hmm. you know see what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's fun as hell, mm-hmm. especially for me. I have this. Uh, I have this sort of mental checklist yeah. of characters that I've gotten to play that I yeah. grew up with. Mm-hmm. That uh, it was nice to add another another notch in the belt, as it were. Nice uh, with this one. I, I was I was really excited because it is like you say. You know, it's an Elseworlds. I was I was familiar with the source material, mm-hmm. um, and then but even with that knowledge, it's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. So even having known what what I thought they might want, yeah. was not the same necessarily as what they did. So. So yeah, it was it was it was a conversation, okay. which it always is. Was yeah. there any particular uh, guidance they gave you for performing them? Uh, yeah, but it, but a lot of it came from the writing mm-hmm. itself. I mean, this this dent is not is not necessarily someone you'd look up to. It's not. Uh, okay. I mean, he is a uh, uh, you know scumbag is a strong word uh, to use, but but he's not a he's not a role model. Um, whereas I think, you know, part of the, the, the beauty that is dent in a lot of the more modern, you know, versions is that there's this part that people, you know, people see, like, I like that guy, which makes, you know, the turn, um, the, the two-faced turn always something much more exciting because on one hand he's, he's an upstanding, you know, fighting for justice kind of guy. And then there's two things. Uh, so this one, this one leans a little more. Uh, this 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 dent. Well, you'll see. <laughs> he's, he's he's not your best friend. And then, what would you say is the hardest and easiest part about playing playing Dent and Peter Parker? Um, I wouldn't know about Peter Parker, but uh, but Dent the the hardest place was uh, you know being sort of as, as unconscionable as he is because I'm not that guy it is it is why I do love playing villains I think it is why a lot of actors love playing villains because you get to do things you wouldn't normally do or tend towards in real life and I am uh, I'm, I'm a nice guy and getting to play guys who aren't so nice are super fun so that was both the hardest and the easiest part for me because uh, I enjoyed it greatly but I am not used to being that kind of human being <laughs> Um, you, sir, you got to have a question. So, what's it like playing Harvey Dent, but in a different adaptation than usual? I love, it. like, like I, like I said, I'm, I'm a big uh, comic book nerd from way back. So, I've seen Harvey Dent in a lot of different iterations, and um, I was also familiar with Gotham by Gaslight. So, I. I'm a big fan of Victorian-era storytelling and alternate Victorian timelines and steampunk stuff and all of that. And uh, so it was really exciting for me to play a character that I knew really well, but in a completely different world and a different setting. So it was... Uh, it's fun. It was, it, was, it was, you know, it's like... It's like getting to, to play Harvey Dent, but like in a Sherlock Holmes world, you know, or something like that. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun. 
now because this is turn of the century, was there any um, language type stuff, you know, that uh, where you had to change, like you know, a slang or something like that uh, from a more modernized version? <laughs> well, luckily the uh, the writers uh, Jim, who's who's here today, uh, hopefully you'll you'll talk with him. Uh, did a lot of the heavy lifting in that part. Um, his adaptation, I thought, was great, and I'm not uh, afraid to say that I think he solved some of the problems that I felt were in the source material. Um, and with with adapting anything from a comic book to a you know an animated thing or any sort of uh, uh, you know motion version at all uh, is you know is, is going to you're going to have challenges. Um, so he had done the heavy lifting on that, but it was we did take care to make sure that my that my speaking wasn't too modern throughout. They, they always had a, a look at that. So were you all in the same room and able to play off each other, or did you fit, shoot separately? We, um, we, we mostly, re- I recorded separately. It was, unfortunately, I didn't get to record with any of the other cast, because there's uh, there are a lot of heavy hitters. Thank you, guys. Hopefully I'll... I'll Thank you. Thank you. Back. Yeah, I'll give you back. Jim Krieg, our screenwriter. Good. I just I just introduced you, Jim. I hope you did well. So I just used all my good material on the last table. So I'm sorry. I'm out. I've got nothing. Well, you're a writer, so you're supposed to have. Let's see. Let's see if I can again whip something else. So, so here's my question for you, and then I'll just do done there. Good. Sorry. Uh, so, so my question is, Scooby-Doo Supernatural, what can you tell us about that? I love you. I mean, I love all of you, but you are special to me. Thank you. <laughs> um, that airs in uh, March, and uh, I was fortunate enough to write uh, a Scooby-Doo Supernatural with my friend Jeremy Adams, and um, I think we're going up to watch them shoot it in a couple weeks. It's very so exciting. Is the entire thing animated, or is it half and half? I I don't think it's too much of a spoiler if I say it's half and half. Okay. Uh, There's a little both, and it's all great. (laughs) I say with due humility. But flipping back to uh, Batman. Yes, please, please. I'm required to. Adapting such a seminal work, you know, the first of the Elseworlds, um, even though it wasn't technically that when it started out. What's that been like for you? It's been a real joy. Um, I grew up. My dad used to read Sherlock Holmes stories to me and I read them to my kids and 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 Sherlock Holmes is sort of the uh, literary ancestor of Batman or certainly one of them and so he will, he falls into that world into that uh, Victorian London world so easily although this is Victorian Gotham and um it's a real joy to, to play out all of those tropes. Hopefully I played them all out. Someone will make a list of them, and hopefully they're all in there. Did you have any challenges in trying to move it from you know the page to the screen, so to speak? Well, it's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful graphic novel. It's very short. I would say it's... Uh, it's the, the art is super evocative, and it pulls you into this world. But because it's so short, the mystery is... Uh, it isn't all that uh, it isn't quite as played out as you could do it and so with 72 minutes we tried to stretch it and say who who is this person in the universe or who is this person like we want to visit all of our uh, Gotham City cast members in, in a Victorian setting who are they and how have they changed and so it was a real opportunity to do that and then of course we wanted to change some things so sometimes it there's a there's a phenomenon where I love this graphic novels and I want to see it adapted and and they better do it exactly like it is in the thing and then when you watch it and it's exactly like it is in the book you're kind of like oh all right and you're 
It's, it turns out that's not what you wanted. It's a little bit like Watchmen. <laughs> I didn't say that, but Despite you Despite the, the change and the big change, and I am, like I am the worst victim. I was totally that guy. I'm, like I bought all of those in 1986, and I said, if they ever make a movie, they better not change it. And I sat there at the was like, oh my gosh, I wish they would change something because I know every single shot that's coming. No giant so, squid. Well, that's, the, the, that's the one big change. But it's, so it's good to know that this adaptation may have some some difference. It does. And, and hopefully the uh, the changes keep you invested and keep you on the edge of your seat. I mean, frankly, with the the last Star Wars movie, I kept wondering when is she going to die? You know, and I and over and over again in the movie, I, I really thought, oh, this is it because they don't have, didn't have Carrie anymore, and she keeps going, and it's, it was a surprise. And, I, and being surprised is what I want most when I'm watching a movie. But I'm sorry, not all surprises are good actors. No, she she was Superman in that movie. Well, I love Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Another question about uh, adapting this work for for the screen. You know, um, a lot of uh, storytelling in a comic book happens between the panels and the gutters. And true. but on on the screen, if if you don't show that, uh, if you don't show it, it doesn't get told. That's true. Uh, so can you give us some examples of things you sort of had to pull from the gutters? Uh, <laughs> well, there's a lot of gutter yeah. to pull from in this one. But yeah, but it's interesting you should say that because in in in, in the graphic novel the. Uh, voiceover covers a multitude of information and in uh, an animated movie is exactly the opposite you want to have as little uh, little voiceover little and little you know or as few words as possible you should be able to watch this movie with the sound turned down and still kind of understand what's going on and you know that's up to Sam and, and Bruce to tell that story totally visually all the words that I put in there's a lot of there's a lot of you know Victorian jargon and slang that I tried to ramrod in there, and it's all cute, and it's, um, and I think it adds to the flavor and it adds to the tone, and all that's important. But it, this is an animated movie, and it's a story that's told visually rather than with words. Did you already uh, have that jargon in your mind, or did you have to do some research to get into it? Or well, I love that world, but I also I googled, and uh, and then and of course after the movie, there's the what do they call it? The wit of the staircase. There are a zillion phrases that I wish. I'd stuck in now that I didn't do. So I apologize to the public for that. Well, so turning back, oh, sorry, uh, turning back to the subject of adaptation expansion, is there something? Taking the whole the full narrative into account, is there an addition you think is especially important for the film? I'd rather not say until you see it, and then you can tell me if they were good additions or if I should be vivisected. So, so here's my question. It's not going to be a polite question, but okay. But um, what is it about the DC movie verse versus the DC animated verse, where basically the DC EU can't really get it right, but you guys kind of nail it every time. What is your secret sauce? Um, well, that first of all, I, I refuse to admit that, that there's anything wrong with the DC live-action movie. Okay. Uh, movies world. Uh, but if, if there is, I would say that there are a lot of cooks there are a lot. There's a lot of expectation. There's a uh, and there's a lot riding on it. And and with us, it's a very small team. And if three of us agree, if two of us agree, it goes in. There's uh, not much more discussion. So I think there's an there's an advantage to that. I mean, it, we come up with a product that everybody everybody's making the same thing. And you might like it or you might not, but it's the thing we set out to make. So I think that's that's the answer. How would you compare this? 
this uh, steampunk Victorian era is going into the more modern version of Santa so familiar with. Um, in in Gotham by Gas. Oh, I was just tapped, so I have to go soon. But I will. All I'll say is that this Bruce Wayne is uh, has only recently become Batman, the Batman in this universe, and so he's learning a lot. He's not. He's not old pro Batman. He is more like Batman Year One Batman, only Victorian Batman Year One. Uh, if that's not too geeky of a phrase. All right, I gotta go. Thank you. I give you Scott Patterson. Our voice of Hi guys, Commissioner Gordon and gals. Welcome to the table. And younger gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Big fan of your on-screen work and oh, thank you. always uh, I always love to hear when people do on-screen and voice acting how they experience the differences and, and approach that. So if you could start out with that, that'd be great. Uh, well obviously, you know, with just a voiceover thing. You would think that there's no physicality to it or as much research, but I think the opposite is true. Thank you. Thank you. I think the opposite is true. Um, and, you know, when you're actually on the soundstage doing voiceover, it really helps me. I don't know how other actors are, but it helps me to really physicalize the character because that, that affects the voice. And I'm not in good voice today. I apologize. Uh, from flying. Um, so yeah, so I think it's it's actually more challenging uh, because because you tend to sort of depend on your voice too much when then you realize no, there's a whole physical aspect of it that the performance is missing that you need to begin executing. Um, so it always went better when I started acting it out. And of course, that caused mic problems. <laughs> so they stuck a mic on me, and then there was rubbing. So that was a problem. So they put the mic up. So then, but we got it. We, we figured. They had a whole studio of mics surrounding you, right? They'll never hire me. Yeah. <laughs> what are What are some of your um, vocal and accent influences for this piece? Because see, you're taking an iconic character, but in a in a setting that's completely new and sort of has its its own influences. And it's its own rules. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not an experienced Shakespearean actor, but I have done uh, my share. So I think with American actors, there's sort of default accent to go. Period. It's a little British for some reason. It's just very strange. Um, and that's the trap, and you shouldn't do that. Um, but there. But there does have to be a theatricality to it. There has to be almost a stilted quality to it. Um, because these situations are so theatrical. Um, so it kind of lends itself to that. So I felt, and they, you know, and I was pulling back on some stuff, and they were saying in the booth, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it gave it, it gave you great freedom. It was almost like a theater experience. That's the kind of free reign that you were given. Nice. What, what process did you go through to find your Anna Gordon? <laughs> you know what? If it isn't in the writing, it's no good. And that's the long and the short of it. I mean, if you read it and it hits you and the performance comes out, then the writing's good. If you read it and it doesn't hit you, 
and the performance is terrible. It doesn't mean you're a bad actor. It means the writing's bad. So then it's really hard to do a voice with a character that you just, you just don't kind of connect if with. Because you, you you're not going to connect with every character, right? There's going to be plenty of characters that you won't be able to play. For most actors. I mean, I think there are a few actors that we can acknowledge that have a broader range than most, most actors. So then let me rephrase the question. So what was it about Gordon... That connect, that made, what was it that made you connect with Gordon? That he was, quote-unquote, in charge. <laughs> you know, I started my own coffee company because I was so tired of being an independent contractor and finding work all the time. I wanted to be the boss. So I connected with it immediately. Okay. He was in charge of something. Do you have a favorite line? What's that? Do you have a favorite line that Gordon has in the movie? I do, but I'm not at liberty to, to say. I promised another journalist that, that information. So. Well, we're going to see tonight. It premieres in like an hour. That's true. That's true. What's, what's your least favorite line? Uh, again, again, same same answer. Well, I, I bet I you promised. can answer this one. Go ahead. I've been a fan of the Batman universe, and I Gordon's one of my favorite characters. Do you have a favorite? Was this, you know, the one you wanted, or... or all of that. You know, when, look, when I was a kid growing up, you know, Batman was debuting the original series, I Am That Old. Um, and we were not allowed to watch it growing up because it was on at 8 or 8.30 and that was past our bedtime. So we would plead and plead and plead and we'd always lose. But I, I saw it on reruns. And the character that I always... That, that took me along in the series, it's just... It's the two leads. It's that relationship, that goofy... A really goofy, strange relationship between those two, and and his oh god, I mean Adam Adam West, his take on that character was just so courageous. I mean now that you know you don't know why it's so engaging when you're a kid, and then you become you know I would say an actor with somewhat of a resume. So now I kind of know I'm coming from a more informed place, and just. I can't imagine ever taking on a role like that and and sort of delivering that type of performance because it was it was almost gentle, wasn't it? I mean, it was very very accessible, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do something like that because everybody else, I'm sure, that they auditioned approached it in a completely different way with all this bravado, capability, and he was just kind of like this sort of he was a very cool guy, and that's kind of how he did. it was really funny. Um, so, you know, really it was Adam West's thing. I, you know, the Commissioner Gordon character to me was always animated and funny and vibrant, but I never really latched on to it as, as a fan. Until now, I assume. <laughs> well, now I see the genius of it, of course, and that it is the best character written in the entire of Wah. So... <laughs> Now, if they had you come back for another one of these DC original movies, is there a character that you'd like to do? I think everybody wants to do Superman. I think that's... I mean, that was my dream. I mean, that was my favorite comic book growing up. Um, and I loved the original movie. Good God, I love that movie. Um, and I think they've done some interesting things with it. Uh, but nothing even approaches the uh, 
the Christopher Reeve. Okay. They're just extraordinarily emotional scenes, and uh, I just thought they paid such homage to the to the original vision of the of, of the comic book in, in in the Christopher Reeve version. I was just blown away by it. And besides talking to us, what's the coolest part about being part of a project like this? <laughs> just I look when I got the job, I I drove to the valley and did a day or two of voiceover. I didn't think it was going to be like this. I I thought it was oh, it's a voiceover gig and. You know, I, I didn't know it was a movie. I didn't know it was an. I mean, I knew it was animated, but I didn't know it was a film. I was I was in the middle of doing another project, so you know, to get a call a year later say, "Oh, by the way, you're going to DC," and it was a big to do. I was very shocked by that. So it's 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 really fun. It's nice. There is that possibility. Yeah. What do you think of coming to DC for a DC Comics thing? Is this, this is kind of a different experience setting things up at the museum for a DC? Native who also goes to Comic Cons, I can tell you this isn't usual. Right, right. So, what's your, you know, what do you think of all that? I think the classier the better, right? I mean, it's it's it's, it's a great town. Uh, I I haven't been here in years and years and years. And driving in last night from the airport, it was it was just kind of stunning to see how all the taxpayer money was being spent. And I thought it was being spent pretty well. You know, and the driver informed me that everything was free. The museums You've got great free museums, yeah. I was like, all right, well, then, there you go. Um, but just, it, you know, there's so many similarities between politics and Hollywood, but I could not imagine two cities being more diametrically opposed uh, in terms of... I don't know, maybe how people go about living their, their day-to-day lives. Um, uh, and I'm an East Coast guy anyway, so I kind of prefer it. So. It's nice. It's, it's really nice. Good. Well, we're glad to have you. <laughs> Do you uh, find that there's a substantial difference between uh, performing on screen and doing a voice for a character? Uh, yeah. Performing on screen is, is about being very small. You know, and that's where the courage comes in, how small your performance can become. Because it's really just, you know, the ca- a, ca- a, a movie camera will catch you lying no matter what you try to do, no matter how skilled you think you are. If you have a false moment on film, it'll capture it. Um, there's no hiding from it. So it's a, really, it's a truth machine. Um, so you need to have uh, very present and, and very prominent emotional life in character, in front of that camera, 100% of the time. Uh, if you falter even a little bit, you'd better do it again because it, you know one, one loose thread is going to take the entire thing apart. So the smaller you go in film, the far better. Which is why they awards for sound and, um, and foley artists in film, I think, are really important. It's like how how quiet can it get? And I always find those performances the most impactful. Um, uh, television is a little different because they don't have the time to to really be that small and be that subtle. And television's a different medium anyway. It's a different style of writing. It's a different type, It's a different structure. You know, it's like you just really have to get to it and you can't set it up so much, right? Um, so it's like conflict, 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 conflict for an hour, 40, 40 minutes, conflict, you know. Film, or at least the way good film should be is... 
your first 10 minutes, you just sort of sort of amble into it, and I ease into it nice and slow. You know, there's no rush. Although film is changing, and I think maybe for the worse, uh, that people are treating film now like it's television, and they feel like they have to grab at everybody's attention right away, and I just think that's, that's not film for me. Um, so yeah, the, the performances are, are incredibly different, and, and plus with television, it's all it's all dialogue anyway. Sure. You know, it's like it's so much more dialogue. So um, film, you're able to express without words. So, um, so when you took this part, did you know anything about this book or this world? I did, I did not. I did not. I mean, I was aware of historical fiction, and I was I was aware that it was a trend in films for you know five years. And, four years, whatever, um, so it seemed like it was, it was, you know, in the realm, within the realm, yeah. Are you the type of actor who has to do research and figure out every looking cranny, or were you able to just kind of go in there and just regionalize and get into your character that way? That's, that, that's pretty much what I did, yes. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do any research, no. Um, I didn't have time. I, I booked the job the day before. I was told to go here and do it. Do, do you think that helped you at all? In, in I think it that, does. In the sense that you didn't have to play to other people's interpretations of the recording? But here's the thing. I'm not in a room with other actors. I'm not acting with other people. There's nothing organic about it. You know what I mean? There really isn't. You're, you're relying on yourself 100%. And you're playing off some guys in the booth who are great, by the way, who really know their stuff. But you're not, you know, I'm not sitting here having a conversation. I can't see how he's going to react to me. Like, the way he did that. I know that means something. So that's going to affect me in some way. So I did, you don't have that. So, yeah, you've got to recreate it all. And um, I know that any, any amount of research is going to help you in that regard. I think the, the research that you do on a film, if you really delve into a role, and really, and let's face it, you're only going to get 5% of a character's psychology anyway. You're not really going to get to know. And what's the differentiator in film anyway? Is like, be yourself. Because nobody's seen you do it. So that's important as well. So if you're going to play yourself, you better be pretty damn interesting, and most people aren't. <laughs> so, so that's really the differentiation. You know, there's one Christopher Walken out there. He's Christopher Walken in every role he plays. And he does it beautifully. Right? He never loses himself. You always know that's Chris Walken. Or Tom Cruise, same way. Right? That's why these people are stars. Because they're interesting as hell as themselves. And they know it. But not in a super egotistical way. They just it informs their work because they know that's what's going to get them the next job. You know, and that's what people can latch onto, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. So, come with me. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank Good meeting y'all. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Welcome. Good oh, to yeah, see you again. Good to see you. I think I saw you last at the, uh, what was it, Thank Batman so Harley Quinn, I think it was, oh, in yeah. San Diego. Yeah. Oh. So, welcome so, back. <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna start this one off. Okay. By asking, why can't you take over the DCU? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to touch that one. 
But um, yeah, I'm going to let someone else go back. I'm going to come back. In okay. A so I, I think the the last adaptation of an existing work that you did was uh, Killing Joke. Or that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, so were, uh, was there any? Um, are there were there any lessons learned and sort of applied to to the to this adaptation where you, you decided you know what to add, what to subtract, uh, visual elements to keep, whereas uh, that you would then marry with your with your own artistic sensibilities. It wasn't that we learned anything from uh, Killing Joke, and just either the the two the, the, the two properties are just really really different. Um, except for the fact that both of them were originally a 64-page graphic novel that we had to we had to expand into a full-length feature, um, but we expanded them in different ways. Okay. Um, Gotham by Gaslight, we instead of adding like a whole separate story to it, we mm-hmm. kind of just took the whole thing and stretched it out. Okay. Um, we in rereading the the original comic, one of the things we realized is that it's structured like a mystery, mm-hmm. but there's really only one. Um, person who could possibly be the villain mm-hmm. the Jack the Ripper character it's like the minute he walks on stage you kind of go oh we know, we know who Jack the Ripper is <laughs> so it, we thought it, it's, it's really good in the mystery to have multiple suspects so that was one thing that it enabled us to do was to expand the cast to uh, um, you know, kind of misdirect the audience several times hopefully um, in, in to who actually Jack the Ripper turns out to be. So that was a big plus. Also, um, Mike Carlin from DC Comics, who uh, back in the day was the, uh, the executive editor of the Elseworlds line, um, he made a good point. He said, you know, back in, back in the day, the original uh, Gotham by Gaslight was the, the first Elseworlds comic. And after that became like a whole genre within DC Comics, one of the, the tropes that they came up with was trying to come up with new ways of using each of the characters' supporting casts. <laughs> So we thought, oh, that's actually a really good idea. So um, that's one thing they didn't really do much in Gotham by Gaslight, so, except that they had Commissioner Gordon in it. Um, but So we thought, okay, well, yeah, so if we have you know, Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Bullock and Harvey Dent and Selena Kyle all in this, in this, this universe, you know, what, what kind of parts would they play? So that kind of it, it, it gives a good hook to expand the cast and um, um, flesh out the story. So that was kind of what we did with this one. And then from, go ahead. Uh, and I think I'll ask you this question a few times in the past, but can you talk a little bit about what's your process for streamlining these books? Because some of these books are really huge, but somehow you manage to get them down into a nice, condensed, one-hour and ten-minute movie, mm-hmm. but it feels like you told the complete story. Like, I can never really tell what's been oh, good. Thank taken you. out. Well, this is the, this, this particular movie was the opposite. This one, you know, we started with a, with a, a shorter comic, which we had to expand. Mm-hmm. But you're right, usually we do have to take a big expansive story and, and squeeze it down into a, into a small space sometimes we're better at it than others um, it helped for instance on during the Dark Knight movies where we knew that we had two whole movies to put that entire story in we couldn't have done it otherwise um, and I kind of wish we'd had the same thing with New Frontier I think the New Frontier movie that we did is pretty good but there were so many good parts of that story like the whole John Henry story we had to like completely excise um, that we just had to kind of either you know eliminate entirely or streamline to the point where not, they don't even really make sense in the movie so are we ever going to get Hush or The Long Halloween maybe <laughs> you never know we'll see do you uh, do you find it freeing in a way to work on an Elseworlds versus the mainstream universe? Do you have what's the experience of doing that? Um, well, this is our only, this is our first one, so I, I can't I can only speak to this one. But yeah, it's uh, it's not just freeing; 
it's um, it's just fun. It's fun to do different things with these characters. I mean, I mean, God knows, you know, I'll, I'll be making Batman and Superman movies and Justice League movies forever and ever, uh, and I'm happy to do that. But at the same time, I have done a lot of them. And so getting to do something really radically different with them by putting them in this late Victorian era and getting to play with all my, you know, the, the Jack the Ripper tropes and the, you know, universal horror tropes and hammer horror tropes and Sherlock Holmes stuff and, you know, Sweeney Todd. It's it's kind of just it's just fun to get out of like you know modern day Gotham. So that kind of touches on something I wanted to ask uh, in, in your mind. What really sets this idea of Batman and, and this vision of Gotham apart from all the other ones that fans are familiar with? Well, it's interesting because it, it a it is it's, it's it's in that Victorian setting, which is great. You know, he doesn't he doesn't rely on computerized gadgets. He doesn't rely on computers. Um, he's got to do good old fashioned detective legwork. Um, also, strangely enough, we found that when we were writing it, that the, the Bruce Wayne character, strangely enough, in this world seems more, it, it seemed more appropriate to make him more um, kind of not as dark as the modern Batman. He's not as, you know, um, gloomy and broody and depressed. Um, he's a little bit more, um, I guess we kept thinking of him <clears throat> in terms of like uh, Don Diego and Zorro where he's more of a kind of dashing young man, <clears throat> kind of genuinely, rather than playing a part. Um, but he still is, you know, he, has, he still has pretty much the same origin story, but he's just not quite as dark. He's a little bit more, I want to say, um, a little bit more uh, human and a little bit more appealing. And a, a part of that, I think, is also just the, the character design that Mike Mignola came up with, the, the, the Batman mask design. He's got, like, these kind of goggle-type eyes, and you, actually, you can actually see his, his eyes through his mask instead of just the, the spooky Batman eyes. I think that automatically kind of human them. So, uh, so we just kind of ran with that. And from a producer standpoint, what specifically can you give us a specific example of what you were able to do on this one? Because it was the Elseworlds, Elseworlds title that you weren't able to do or wouldn't have thought of doing with the um, mainline comics? Well, I mean, pretty much it's the stuff I've talked about already. The fact that it's um, it's not modern day and the fact that it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a murder mystery and it's kind of a, a horrible murder mystery. Um, so, uh, so there was that. Um, and kind of again like I mentioned I kind of touched on before you know reimagining characters like Selena Kyle and uh, you know Harvey Bullock and, and Harvey Dent um, and uh, Hugo Strange who's in this movie as well so um, it, each of those characters putting them in this world kind of gave us an idea of different different venues that we could put them in so it's not just like Selena Kyle it's like Selena Kyle is she's an actress so there's a whole there's a whole you know theater aspect to the story that it didn't have before and then Hugo Strange is he's an alienist or you know which you know we know nowadays is a psychiatrist so so there's a whole that made sense to like bring in a whole Arkham Asylum portion to the story so um, and it's a, and again it's because it's in a Victorian world it's it's you know it's Arkham Asylum like you've never really seen it before it's old school Bedlam you know it's actually really horrifying so um, so that was just and, and you know steampunk elements as well it's like there is a bat vehicle in the story um, even though it, it predates you know industrial you know uh, combustion engine vehicles by a decade or two um, but we couldn't resist doing it so um, so there's a little bit of a steampunk element to it as well so. but plus badness tech is always 10 or 20 years of ahead of it exactly <laughs> absolutely right what uh speaking of tech I guess what um how was the animation process any different since this is basically all new worlds for no just harder it was just it was just more work uh we have the luxury on some of the other movies that we've worked on 
of being able to reuse stock characters and stock backgrounds from other movies just because we have to because of the, the, the shortened time frame that we have to make these movies um, so this movie was tougher because we had exactly the same schedule but we had to create every single scrap of, of artwork from scratch we couldn't reuse any background characters we couldn't reuse any vehicles any backgrounds it all had to create it from, from scratch so, so that was tough but, um, but we pulled it off so you know did you go into this knowing that it would be a, another R like The Killing Joke was, and uh, or was that something that came later? And is there any pushback, you know, from uh, the higher ups at Warner Brothers to, you know, um, you know? Here's the thing: um, once we established that, you know, that we we were able to to do an R-rated animated Batman movie, <clears throat> um, we had to have a, a big sit down meeting with everybody and say, now going forward. We're not just going to make these movies just however we want and then see what, how they get rated. Because they're, they're very... DC especially is very, very um, sensitive to their, their characters and they, they feel like it's... It, ultimately, it would hurt the brand if we just kind of did this, you know, straight, straight up and down. You know, from now on, all the movies could be rated R. <clears throat> but, so, going forward... We basically said, okay, this movie may get an R rating. Would you guys be okay with that? Looking at the subject matter of Batman Gotham by Gaslight, they said, yes, that one, if it, if it gets an R rating, we'll be okay with that. The, the new Suicide Squad movie that's been announced that we're doing. Again, it kind of it lends itself to, to being an R, um, but most of the movies won't. So um, I think it's going to be it's going to be on a case by case basis. I think for the most part, um, most Batman stories I don't think need to be R rated. Um, this one obviously did. Just uh, you know, the Killing Joke obviously it needed to be R rated. Um, but um, but like I said, you know I, I don't I don't know if we, anybody needs to see an R rated Superman movie or an R rated Batman or Wonder Woman movie. So you know we'll see. Do you think people put too much emphasis on movies being R rated? Like somehow the R rating automatically equals quality. Um, probably. Uh, I, I have to tell you though. Um, uh, no, nah, I won't go there. Go <laughs> oh, there. We want to hear it. Fans are funny. Fans really want the stuff to be as hardcore as possible. Um, not we all had fans. not all, no, not all fans, um, but. Uh, no, that's true. I'm generalizing, but I, just just as, as a as an anecdotal, um, at the New York Comic Con, we we were talking about this very subject, and we brought it up in front of the the, the crowd that we had in this crowded theater, and we said, "Yeah, show of hands, who who here wants R-rated bat or R-rated animated DC movies?" And everybody roared. It was like the whole place was like shaking. It was just like, okay, yeah, they really want it, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to get it. But if you say Superman versus Batman, perhaps the reaction would be slightly. Good point. I, I kind Good of hope point. it would. Too shy. Fanboys want R-rated Superman. I don't want to see R-rated Superman. I don't see a point in that. It seems, <laughs> seems like uh, you've you've gone through the uh, almost through the entire canon of DC, all the sort of the touchstone stories, and last told, told a. Um, a, uh, a lot, a lot more original uh, works. <coughs> mm-hmm. Is there, is there anything left? Anything on your bucket list that you'd like? Oh, there's to tons. Do? There's tons. I mean, uh, <coughs> uh, yes. I mean, just uh, not even just. Um, I mean, DC Comics has got a rich history. I mean, and, and it's not just Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Even Justice League characters. I mean, there's other genres in DC Comics that I would love to get into eventually as well um, that aren't necessarily seen as. 
obvious, you know, home runs. You know, like you know, pitching a pitching a, a Batman or a Justice League movie is easy compared to saying, oh, I want to do a, you know, uh, Jonah Hex movie or you know, you know, Creature Commandos movie or whatever. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, so um, so there, yeah, there's stuff like there. There's tons of stuff that you know I would I would, I would like to, to explore. As well. So has it gotten challenged to or easier to greenlight a new idea or a new? I'm sorry, what? Is it has it gotten easier to greenlight? a new movie for you throughout the years or is it still challenging it's always challenging it's always challenging because things change all the time unrelated, sorry uh, on a related point is there anything you can tell us about gods and monsters nope okay <laughs> nope that's easy and one last is there any chance that we'll eventually get like uh, one of your DC animated films on the big screen as an actual theatrical release uh, because it seems like it would be perfect for that maybe? and it's a low budget maybe I don't know Possibly. Fandom events usually does uh, that. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing them. Yeah, but I think you mean like an actual yeah, like like a, a broad a, release. A, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, they're doing a you know big um, theatrical Spider-Man movie. So. Exactly. So we'll see. I've, I've been asking you this question since 2011, but Kingdom Come still the unfilmable or un- unanimatable story? It still is. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank, Thanks you. For Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I give you Bruce Greenwood, our voice of Batman. Hello, buddy. Hello, hello. How are you doing? About ten minutes. Have at it. All right. All right. Well, I'll start out. Um, this is obviously a period chair. Entertainment. Please don't actually fall from off it. Please don't. Over a hundred years ago. <laughs> it was. It was when when Batman was around in the Elseworlds. That chair was. Made. Yeah, that was the original um, chair. Right. Period. You've got a. You've got a funny. You've got a funny horizon going. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm aware of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, as a an iconic character like Batman coming in and voicing that, what, what what's that experience been yeah. like for you? Well, it was tremendous fun. The first one I did, uh, Under the Red Hood, was was a real as a violent introduction to playing this character. That's a this serious one. one. Yeah. That's really. I was stunned at how dark it was visually when when I saw it. Finally, you know, I was I wasn't ready for it. I just really, you know, kind of really, and I haven't seen this. So I'll, I'll have, I'll, yeah, I will. I'll have more answers later, more questions. Maybe. That, that was kind of a Joker look you just gave us. Was it? <laughs> uh, don't be afraid. <laughs> would, would you consider playing a Joker? Uh, I'd consider playing any of these characters, but I, I feel like I might be tied to Batman. Something I'm curious about is that you've been Batman and Bruce Wayne in Gaslight, Young Justice, also yeah. Red Hood. Do you draw distinctions between how you see that character and how you perform him? Well, sir, it, it's in a strange way, it comes mostly out of what happened like the first day I was in the studio what kind of, who was conspiring to make it darker or more leathery or high or whatever and I think Young Justice I ended up kind of doing something some, I, I can't really remember because I haven't done it for about a year but it might have been might have been down there <laughs> So, so what's the sort fuck of... with me. <laughs> what, uh, so it kind of comes out of the, um, just what happens in the, instinctively what happens in the room. You know? mm-hmm. what, so I guess piggybacking off of that last question, what's the, tip, the tipping point between Batman and Victorian Batman? What makes Victorian Batman Victorian as opposed to the other iterations of Batman? That you've Underwear. <laughs> like a it's much more sophisticated place. underwear now than there was in Victorian times. Sock-garters. So I was careful to I was careful to dress underneath. The, oh, you got your corset going. I understand. <laughs> no, that 
I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the corset in public. Oh, okay. <laughs> if that's okay. Oh, we'll, we'll talk offline. Yeah, we'll just talk offline. I'd rather that not be a public knowledge. No, no, we're not. Thanks for bringing so it up. That up. So let, let me um, say. No, to, to seriously answer your question, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> how, how does how does regular Batman become Victorian Batman? How had what what spice? Did I think you it mostly has to do with with the with the feel of the movie, right? And and when Bruce is in the room with with all the all the drawings, you can kind of get a feel for how kind to get a feel for how dark it is. Mm-hmm. And um, with Under the Red Hood, I knew it was going to be violent, although I didn't know how violent. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, I guess I sort of naturally put a little more, I don't know, a little more teeth in it or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I just want to say you were the best thing about the Golden Circle. So, oh, so, uh, so I want to know how you how do you go from that to Batman, and is that like? Well, the Golden Circle thing was just like. Well, I walked characters. in and I I said to the director, I said, um, well, I want to do like uh, like a Clinton thing, if that's all right. I would really love to do like a Clinton vibe. And he goes, No, don't do that. That's all. Uh, what else you got? To can do a southern accent. I go, yeah, I can do southern accent. I can do all. I can do that kind of thing. You want something like that? Or I can do something. <laughs> I can do something more straight. And um, so he just said, yeah, no, do the southern accent. That'd be great, yeah, yeah. And do something with your hat. <laughs> so we puffed up my hair and I just chewed the scenery. <laughs> but how is it, how is it, how easy is it for you to just switch it off? Um, switch that off and go, the Batman, who's a pretty... Well, you're not, dark, it's not like there's, you know, it's <laughs> not like you step out from behind a door and do Batman and step out from behind a door. You know, you gotta, there's a plane ride in a couple of weeks and... Yeah. But how do you deal with being a on-screen actor versus a voice actor? In other words, do you approach the two differently, and do you prefer one to the other? Oh yeah, they're very. I mean, for me, they're very different. I mean, in terms of like trying to understand the intention of a line and trying to be truthful, quote unquote, within the intention of the line, those are the same. But but you can't. You can do it all with a look when you're acting, and when you're voice acting, is the look is up to somebody else. So you have to try and. Absorb what the writer is telling you, what the director is telling you about what that look is supposed to supposed to infer, and then do the best you can to to match what they're telling you it's going to be like. You know, you've been doing Batman for close to ten years now. You know, lots of you know, you showed us that big box set. You know, like a, one of the Comic Cons of all the Warner Bros. DVDs, and you're in quite a few of them. So, do you have a favorite moment as Batman that you've done, or a favorite line? Well, I think my the weirdest moment was I was I just finished doing I think Under the Red Hood and then I was doing some kind of some kind of Batman thing for uh, for for Conan O'Brien there was wasn't there a Batman kind of a Batman-y a spoofy Batman character he did the yeah, flaming scene yeah flaming scene oh right because right. yeah, we did that at the yeah. same session Oh. And I said to Bruce, I said, um, there was a scream, right? Kind of a comical scream. And I, and I said to Bruce, oh, let me try that one more time. I'm not, I'll try that one more time. <laughs> and I screamed, and I broke my throat. Oh. You break your throat? <laughs> I, my cords just went, pow! Oh. And... Like that. Like that. And I wasn't, and I mean, it was like a joke. <laughs> That I was, <laughs> and they were, and everybody in the booth was going, "What? Are, are, stop, don't fuck You know, you're, stop kidding." And I'm, like, no, you're not kidding. <laughs> and it took like ten days. 
10 days. <laughs> and I'm driving home with my voice back. Nope. <laughs> you know, I get home and your wife's going, stop. <laughs> when you're a voice actor, that's the moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, and I was really concerned that I'd actually, you know, broken the internet kind of with the voice thing. <laughs> but, do you, um, get, oh, sorry. Well, so. do, you uh, do you ever improv as Batman during the recordings? Do you get to... No. They don't allow it or... You don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, bro. It's a written story, okay. <laughs> so, so, so you never go, Batman wouldn't do this. Batman wouldn't say this. I think the next thing you would hear was, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. So what would you say would be the your favorite project? You're getting a great shot of me there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the Batman... Which one was your favorite, your, your most favorite project? I, well, I had a great time doing this one, but I haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, my stomach's in a bit of a dog right now. Because I haven't, I got, I haven't, you know, it was a while ago. So, I don't know, ask me the question later. Absolutely. But you haven't seen it, but you, you have some idea. Well, well, you, I have so. I actually, I don't have as good an idea as you might imagine because the animation be, becomes a whole thing you can't anticipate when you're just seeing it on a on a on a still unmoving page, right? It's and there's no sound or anything. You're just you know you're just screaming into an empty mic, and and the other voice actors are not there with you, and so it's a it's a very kind of disembodied process so in terms of what to expect I I, I, I my expectation I mean I've, I don't know what to expect how so long between the recording session and the premiere um, usually elapses I can't, I can't even tell you when I did this I have no idea it was over a year ago okay so this wow, wow. at least I haven't I haven't got a clue have you recorded any more Batman stuff that we don't know about yet that might come out of the <laughs> Like an answering machine. <laughs> those NDAs. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, the, the, those NDAs are null and void. You can tell us. Yes, of course. That leads into my question, which is uh, Batman's a very serious character. This is a fairly serious movie. You've clearly got a great yeah, sense no. of humor. So were you able to bring that in at all, even though it's a fairly serious aspect? Um, you know, only when it's only when it's appropriate. And, and most times with Batman, it's not as, as sardonic as some of, some of his... Utterances might be, um, you know, funny they ain't. <laughs> would, would you enjoy it if they if they did a like if you got to be Lego Batman, Batman the comedy? Lego ba- well, Lego Batman. There you go. You could be Lego um, Batman. Um, yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I think that'd be fun. Well, to piggyback off of his question, if you can't tell us about Batman, I haven't done anything else. <laughs> Is there anything you can tell us about any upcoming Batman games? Always, always. No, I can't. Hesitation tells me something. Yeah. No, I can't. Um, are you in? What about uh, the first season of Young Justice? Are they have they asked you to come back? Yeah, they have, and I'm trying to get back to do the recording. And, uh, we have to try and finish it by at the end of January. But I'm I'm doing this gig in Atlanta, and I've been there since August. So it's we're trying to find a way for me to race back and do those episodes. Okay. So so there was a big brouhaha. When you first took over as the voice of Batman from Kevin Conroy, hey, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not into the fandom as much as, you know, that deep, but has that calmed down? And what was that like for you? The um, well, it was a little, it was, 
was a little weird because I wasn't, I didn't realize that uh, there was, didn't realize how hallowed the territory was, first of all, and how loved Kevin is, right? And I didn't, I, I just wasn't that familiar with it. So I was kind of like, wow, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> didn't mean to, you know. Um, but I think we, they, sometimes they'll choose me and sometimes they'll choose Kevin. I think they probably more often choose Kevin. I think he's sort of considered the high watermark for that. But, but you now earned your place. I would love to. Well, see. I don't get kicked off out of the out of the room anymore. But, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to keep talking. I'm going to move you to the other table. Then you can okay. do more talking there. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Sure. Okay. I'd love to see so, a video. Of where have I read your work before? Where have I seen? <laughs> Very, you must have interviewed me about Comic-Con? 10 or 15 years ago. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you were in a little I'm not basket. even that old. I'm <laughs> oh, How old are you? He liked you in Golden Circle, though. Oh, did you? Yeah. Was, was, he wanted to vote for you. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after the interviews, we went to coat check to put our bags away because we were literally in such a rush. There was barely any time to do anything like, you know, go to the bathroom or check our bags because we didn't even stop at the hotel. We took all of our suitcases to the museum with us. And then there was um, kind of a mini cocktail party right before um, Gotham by Gaslight. And this was pretty cool because to get um, the everyone ready for the movie, the, mu- the museum had popcorn, candy, and like sodas, so... Kind of like that. And then we watched um, the movie, Gotham by Gaslight, which I had not read the original um, one-shot, the original Elseworlds, so I wasn't sure what to expect. From what I understand, this is very different, but lots of awesome cameos. Um, I'm sure it's not too big of a spoiler to say, because they already released the clip that uh, the three of the well, Rob- thanks for the spoilers! <laughs> that one's for Stella and Donovan, I guess, Yeah. <laughs> Not too big of a spoiler to say that Jason Todd, Tim Drake, and Dick Grayson are there as street urchins, and uh, Catwoman has a burlesque musical number, so that was a a really great experience. Any comments on the movie? Yeah, Catwoman was pretty dope. (laughs) Do you have a favorite scene from the movie? I think maybe when we first met Timmy, not the part before that. That was great. (laughs) Why just Timmy? What about his friends? (laughs) Well, well, that's what I meant, but... (laughs) What'd they do to you? (laughs) Nothing! Give me a break. The next morning, um, we dressed like we normally don't do for Comic-Con. Um, this is the 13th now, because this was a more formal affair, and we were trying to, um, you know, get passes to the cocktail fancy premiere party that night. So, uh, you know, we wore our suits and ties as opposed to our usual superhero shirts and, you know, and, and shorts that we do in July's San Diego Woo-hoo. Comic-Con. Headed back over to the museum, we had three press sessions that morning, and the first one was for... Um, the Art of the Matter from Sketch to Screen and The Many Shades of Heroism. Those are two different panels, but they combined, um, you know, press people for that. You know, just just to make it easier. The first person was Chris Chalk, who plays Lucius Fox on Gotham, you know, and he had um, some interesting stuff to say about, you know, uh, <laughs> he said that he has a black lightning statue in his bathroom, which I thought was funny. The second person was David Harewood, who plays uh, the Martian Manhunter on Supergirl. We also spoke with Salim and Mara Akil. Hopefully I'm pronouncing their names right. Um, they're the showrunners for Black Lightning. And uh, they actually, I, I don't know if you remember, they actually gave you uh, a scoop. Do you remember what that was? They said, they, they pointed to you. They're like, that one's for you and you only. No. It was. Um, I feel like they, I should know. They, they, <laughs> they gave you a scoop and you and you threw it away. They told you um, when they were going to tell Black Lightning's origin. Do you oh, well, not exactly when, but how. Yeah. 
They, yeah, well, Ooh, like little hints. Well, but they told you that you'd see something in the final episode. I don't know. Everyone will yeah. hear it when we play the interview in a minute or two anyway. Alice Randall and Dennis Cohen, you know, and um, Donovan was really jealous when I told him that one because Dennis created Static Shock, which is a Milestone character that's one of... Or, not Milestone, Malibu. Which is a character that's one of Donovan's favorites. Hey, research! <laughs> right? <laughs> we also spoke to Brandon Ralph, who... Uh, Ben addressed as Superman, which, you know, everyone got a kick out of, you know, who's now playing uh, Ray Palmer, the Adam in the Arrowverse shows, and um, Cress Williams, who's playing Jefferson Pierce in Black Lightning, and John Ridley, um, Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave, who's now working on um, a book for DC. Any comments on those? Ray Palmer was the best Superman you'll ever know. Did you even see Superman Returns? Yes, it was great. Who was the villain in Superman Returns? Zod. No, he wasn't. Lex Luthor. <laughs> Lex Luthor's the villain in half the Superman movies. That's such a lucky. <laughs> that's such a lucky guess. <laughs> but that's okay. He was. <laughs> he's good as the. He he was a good Superman though. So that's so that's forgivable. Adios, Hi everyone, I have Chris for you. Hey. What's up, y'all? Hey, amen, amen. That's a nice little rig. Uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And a dope shirt. How y'all doing today? Good, how are you? That's a silent hat. I love the flesh. Yeah, it's very, very subtle. I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, exactly. So, are we going to be getting any more scenes of you with uh, Dobby Mazows this season? Because you guys only had that one thing. You gave him the gear and then mm-hmm. promptly threw it in the trash a few episodes later. I know. He did not appreciate the work right? I put yeah, in. I mean, but that's how he does. That's how, that's new Bruce, though. New Bruce yeah. has a little bit of a attitude problem. I mean, well, if you fired Alfred, I mean, you could be the new butler. I mean, it could work. I'd be t- maybe a little smarter than Alfred. But, uh, no, I think we will see There's in, in this the beginning of this spring release there will be still a little bit of Lucius in the GCPD and then we transition more into aiding young Bruce Wayne or teenage Bruce Wayne <laughs> right he's taller than like he's ben almost McKenzie taller now. than me and that's a problem <laughs> it's super weird because when I came in he was like here yeah. he was like he was a kid and then someone had me sign a thing recently and I went oh my gosh he's almost taller than me and I'm not going to grow anymore but he's got plenty of growing to do uh, what informs your performance of Lucius Fox? Because in the Batman mythos, there aren't a lot of African American characters. Uh huh. This is only, I think, the second live action incarnation. Virgin of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a lot of people, he's an obscure character. But you know, Morgan Freeman and the Nolan movies have risen the the prominence of the character. What what informs your performance, and what is your opinion of the character of Lucius Fox and his importance to the Batman mythos? Uh, well, especially now, now that we we have. I remember the first the first comic with a minute. He's randomly captured. Him, I think it was him and actually Alfred are randomly captured and Batman comes and saves him. And then they're like, and that's Lucius, you know, like, and he appeared, the magical Negro appears from nowhere. But especially with Nolan's interpretation, the newer comics with the new uh, Batwing, who is actually Lucius's right. son, um, it's, an, it's, a, it's a 
one, it informs me because there's so much information now that wasn't there. You know, there's so many personality traits. There's so many things that I can draw from. Um, Morgan Freeman obviously did an incredible job. Uh, and I try not to borrow from that on purpose. <laughs> right, right. Uh, just because we're two different, because it's only the second live action version of him. So I'm like, let me do my thing. And there's, you know, there's only so much room you can live in in this like genius <laughs> man in Gotham who is non-violence way. But I think even this season, as we come further, there are little details our show is going to add about Lucius that are very different from the mythos. So yeah, I just draw from all those details and not Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And then his importance as a character to the mythos. As an oh, the importance. Well, as, an, as a, a CEO. Well, what I love about this show, because I've come from things like 12 Years a Slave, Underground, all these very obviously uh, uh, social things. But this is so important in a way that like kids are seeing the smartest guy in the room as a brown-skinned male. And as the guy who's running a company, as the guy who's making these gadgets. So it's a different version of heroism that I think is so important. And I didn't, and I can't say going into it, I thought of that. Right, it's right. just as I realized it, as I talked to kids who, I, I did a thing with STEM, and there's all these little scientists who were like, yeah, I want to develop vaccines for anything, and Lucius Fox, and I was like, right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I intended the whole time. But it really does inspire these youth to do a different kind of heroism. It doesn't have to be fists and kicking. It can be, you know, in the boardroom. Using your brain. Yeah. So, great question. So, what have yes. been, like, um, you, like, what were your expectations going into it? Like, what ones have been met? What ones have not been met? Mm-hmm. And what new expectations have you added? The expectations going into it, especially because it had already been established before I went in, was I was super nervous because I was a dude coming into a show that had already been established, but everybody was so generous and kind. So then it was kind of a gray area where I didn't have many expectations. I was just kind of going along for the ride. But now that I know everybody and I have an idea of where our arc is going, there, 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 well, there's expectations I can't tell you. <laughs> but I do expect some of the bigger things that we as fans of Batman, I expect to be creating some of those things. And I, I, I look forward to, I won't say expect, but I look forward to seeing more of who Lucius is without Bruce. Uh, which we get to play with a little bit, yes. Oh, I just want to say, I'm Patrick with uh, New Release Wednesday and the Nerds of Color. Um, we also represent Black Heroes Matter. Yes. I want to thank you for your portrayal. You're doing a fantastic job. Um, for my Black Heroes Matter people, my folks over at the Nerds of Color, uh, anything you want to say to uh, those nerds that, you know, live through what you're doing and your representation? You can hold this one. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, as a nerd of color, <laughs> I actually consider myself a geek of color. Um, I, 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 I I lost the question a little bit, but I have an answer I'm interested in, which is coming up, I was so, I was reading all this stuff. These are my comic books, more Marvel than DC, but that's okay. They forgive me. And and to now get to see like Black Lightning, to see David Harewood in, uh, uh, on, on Supergirl, to see these, these people of color who are representing these heroes that are undersung sometimes. Like, who knew about Black Lightning besides nerds? nerds you know what I mean? And to see it, like I have a statue 
in my bathroom of black coffee. And now to see, which my wife let me keep for some reason, uh, <laughs> which it's just so nice to see it. And it's so, I think, I think everyone for supporting it because it, one, gives me employment, but it's so important, just like we were saying earlier, to see these different versions of heroism, to see every shade, to see, you know, like, I can't wait for the new uh, Spider-Man to be what he is in the comic books, the new Hulk, Hulk to be what he is in the comic books, you know, so that, you know, we do see more people of color. Like, we understand a certain narrative. Let's see all these other narratives that exist, and that's exciting. Thank you so much. Is Thank you. A, okay. Is there a character from the Batman mythos that you haven't gotten to interact with, especially if they are a minority who you'd really like to see on screen I think with you? Deadshot ah. would be really cool, especially because he's around the same age mm-hmm. as Bruce, so to see some, like, budding conflict would be... Or maybe not even conflict, honestly, because it may be too soon for that. But to see, like, this little rich brown kid and this little rich white kid and see what that looks like, though. These two future, like, assassins, essentially, would be amazing. That's the one. That would be very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This guy. This guy. Folks, I have David Harewick from Supergirl. Hi, guys. David. David Harewick. Oh, wait, what is that? <laughs> wow, okay. Okay. To turn his, camera, his phone into a camera. Right, right, okay. That's great. Welcome to the table. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. What is that we got down there? Oh, right. <laughs> Flash. Uh, so, um, thank you for thank you for being part of uh, DC and DC and speaking with us. Uh, we work from the Nerds of Color. You can, you can have a bookmark. You know. Nerds of Color, I'll take that. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, Patrick and I are part colleagues. He's with New Release Wednesday. We're also representing Black Girls Matter here this week at um, uh, DC and DC. I like that. I like that. Uh, and so just as uh, one of the few African-American superhero characters on television, uh, how has that kind of informed your take on John Jones and the Martian Manhunter? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, John has, particularly in the current climate, you know, John has chosen to be black. Right. And, um, you know, one one has to ask yourself, one has to ask if, if one had the choice, it probably would be easier not to be. But I think, uh, I think he, he's made a, he was, in, in our story, he's, kind of forced to, to make that choice but I think he's grown to love love, love it love, this, love, the, love the, the colour and I think he would now rather change the world as opposed to change his colour you know it would be so much easier for him to simply just change it and morph into somebody else but I think that's part of his ongoing struggle is that he's fighting for justice and fighting for fighting for the oppressed and fighting for you know those who are who don't have a voice and I think that really ties in very much with what I think John Jones represents which is somebody that has had his whole uh, peoples wiped out by a, a race of people who just wanted to annihilate another species and, and I I think that the, the horror of that has, has really made John understand that tyranny of any kind should not be um, stood for and should be fought against. So that informs me as the character. And there's a long history of black actors playing the Martian Man. Too. And you're, right. you're actually acting with one now, Carl Lumbly. Carl Lumbly, love Phil Moore has played him on yeah. Smallville. What is it that, and I guess that's the connection between the, that character who wasn't traditionally African American. I think it was 65, in 1965 or in the 60s, in the late 60s, that the character was changed to be, to be black. And I think, again, I think it's a really brilliant, uh, a really brilliant idea because I think that chimes in with the whole idea of civil rights. And I think, as I say, Jean very much um, wants to represent and fight for the underprivileged, the downtrodden, um, 
that ties in very much with his idea of of what's what's right, and that people need people need to need to be protected, and people need to be um, uh, uh, tyranny needs to be need to stand up for tyranny. Thank you. So it's very interesting. Um, people always say, "Oh, if you could only walk a mile in their shoes and see what it was like to be a different color, etc." And he gets to experience that. Um, how do you think that if he could give his, you know, power to other people so they could see that too? How do you think that that would affect the world that you work in? Well, it would change it, wouldn't it? Immediately, you know. I mean, that's the one um, unfortunate thing about about our, our world is I think there is an enormous lack of empathy and. Um, Empathy, empathy is the, 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 the thing that, that creates understanding, I think. And it's very, it's very difficult for, for people who aren't black to understand racism. They can, uh, they, they, can, they can listen to it, but I find that the more... I find with experience that the more you talk about racism, the less people listen. Um, because they just don't understand it. They, don't, they have no powers of empathy. So I think if people could spend a day um, swapping colours, swapping uh, sexes, um, we would have perhaps more understanding and people would be more open to uh, listening and, and, uh, and not being so um, forceful with their own views. And, and Because I think nobody's 100% right you know I think there's we're all certain shades of wrong and uh, the more we realise that the more we understand that I think the better the world will be because I don't think any one person idea or belief should dominate the world I think it's that's what's beautiful about the world is that there are just so many different ideas and so many different people uh, I just wish that that was um, understood more I wish we could see a storyline like that. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe he gets the ability to give give that to a few That'd people. That'd be interesting. You know? Yeah, that be great? that'd be interesting. I'll, I'll mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Paula, you hey, a friend of mine. So, question so maybe now yeah. I'll tell Paula. You got a little question? What has been your favorite line to shoot? My favorite. Uh, like line or scene or um, being in this. Uh, well, I, well, I think the reveal when he when he first revealed himself as John Jones because I think the audience didn't quite know who he was. And I was reading reading stuff online. Oh, it's this guy. Oh, it's this guy. Is this guy? And and then when I watched some videos on YouTube the next day, and people were literally jumping up and down when it was the Martian Manhunter um, because we haven't seen him in this shape before. So um, I'd say that was my favorite. The reveal was my favorite um, moment. Okay. All good. Anything else? I'm trying to think of one right at the moment. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hog, I don't want to hog the, the Can you just talk about the importance of being here this weekend and just, you know, obviously this entire event's kind of talking about representation, not just in comic books, but on TV. And so what's just the importance of being here this weekend on MLK Day weekend? Just talk a little bit It's about enormously that. important for me as a black a Brit. I mean, I feel quite honored being part of, these, of, of, of this group because obviously I'm not African-American, but um, as a black Briton, uh, it's, it's been... Uh, Americans, I've always looked up to Americans, particularly black Americans, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, um, Paul Robeson, Harry Belafonte, the whole civil rights movement started here. 
and as a, as a black Brit I've always it's the black Americans who have always guided me in terms of heroism and fighting for civil rights so as well as Mandela and you know other, other figures but I think you know primarily it's been the black Americans that have led that way uh, so it's tremendously um, uh, an honour for me to be here on MLK Day in, in you know a couple of miles away from where he did his famous speech it means uh, an enormous amount to me to be here and and I think, you know, again, as a, as a black Briton, to see the, the sheer amount of shows, uh, black shows that, that, are, that are happening here now, not all of which have been successful, but it's great. It's great that, you know, you've got black lightning coming out now. You've got the black representation uh, right throughout in, in, t- television. Uh, Ava DuVernay in terms of directing. It's an exciting time. And, um, it's, well, I'd say we're still probably about 10 years behind right. in Britain. Uh, although we do have a new generation like John Boyega coming through and, and Daniel Kaluuya coming through so that's tremendously exciting that those, the younger generation is getting an opportunity but certainly when I was growing up those opportunities really weren't there for me so um, I, would, I would say that America is with Homeland and, and now with Supergirl has given me a tremendous uh, step up and uh, so I'm tremendously uh, uh, um, grateful that uh, the, the industry has allowed me uh, my own form of expression here so it's to me. my last my last question but um, if there was a minority character you haven't gotten to work with yet that you'd like to come into from the universe to work with who would that be a minority character um, from, from the you know the greater DC universe that you haven't gotten to work with yet. well again I'm not really that familiar I, I grew up I have to say I grew up reading Marvel so I'm kind of uh, I'm, I, I'm finding the whole DC world really exciting and so I'm sure there are characters out there that I, I need to get across and see. So. Well, we, we need a crossover with you and Mr. Terrific and Cisco and everyone to just kind of come together. That'll be good. Yeah. Have, just form your own Justice League. Uh, last question about representation. Speaking of those characters, why is it that the, the CW universe has been able to, to showcase so many characters of color as superheroes? Because if you look at the films, you know, we're finally getting Black Panther on the, on the film. And, and it's going to be huge, right? It's going to be huge. It's yeah. already huge. Yeah. But, but TV has kind of led the way in yeah. terms of your, your character, uh, uh, Cisco, uh, Iris West, mm-hmm. and all of the characters in the, in the universe of Black Lightning. Mm-hmm. What, why, does it, why is TV the one that's leading the way and not the films? don't know about that I, I you know i think obviously there's so much more money involved in in um in movies and i, I would say the you know the, the, the risk the, the risk has always been greater perhaps with movies um what i hope is that this, the success of movies like black panther and um will break that ceiling and that people will say yeah we need to have more black heroes uh, uh, represented in movies because um, you know I, I you know for years i grew up with the idea that black movies don't work movies with black leads don't work they don't make any money that's what we were always told but that seems to be changing now and there seems to be an ever growing uh, demographic an audience out there for black for black, black content so I'm excited to be a part of that thank you thank you very much thank you Good morning, everyone. Hi. Hello, reporter. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. They come in all sizes. We're taking I advantage like of having the table with the kids. Yes. You know, that's, that, that wins. <laughs> Hi. Hello. 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 Welcome to the table. So, Thank you. What is it like bringing such an amazing and new kind of show to the screen? 
Oh man, it's a it's a it's a blessing, you know. It's it's fun. It's exciting. It's uh, challenging. It's it's all the above. But it's ultimately it's great. It feels great. It feels it feels um, needed. I, I would say too. I feel it needed. Creating conversation, creating understanding. I think that's the best thing that television really offers us if you use it as a platform to have to sort of get to know each other, get to know what's going on, and the genre, of course, lets us do it in a fun way. It does feel like this is the time for it, so the flip side of what does it feel like, have you gotten any pushback on it, or has it been a, a better experience than you expected, perhaps? We haven't gotten any pushback. I think it's the experience, you know, I, I've made fun at times that, you know, I know people like to hear the the artist struggle, you know, with, with the studio and the network, but they've been nothing but supportive. Uh, of course, we get notes, of course, there's conversations, but nothing that I thought was out of the ordinary from our experience. When we walked uh, at the at the day one of our deal at Warner Brothers, this was on the table from the beginning. Um, we want, we would love for you to um, develop and get Black Lightning to screen. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I wanted milestone. I want. I I, I started also out. Good. Also good. I, I started out wanting when we first got the deal. I was excited because I thought that oh man, I'll be able to get my hands on milestone. And, um, you know, I love Icon and, and I love hardware and Rocket, you know, and the whole Blood Syndicate thing. So I was really thinking about that. And then they said, well, right now, right now, right now, that's not available. But we have this other thing called Black Lightning. And so maybe we can get Virgil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No chance we can't see any kind of cameo. You know, I mean, yeah. You know. Hang in there with us, guys. Hang in there with us. So this show is different from the last, you know, few superhero type shows in that uh, Black Lightning is already, a lot of his years are behind him, and, yeah. you know, and Thunder is already in existence. Uh, what made you guys decide to do that as opposed to an origin story? Uh, because everybody else had done origin stories, you know what I mean? And I just wanted to take a different approach. You know, it's a rebirth story, a resurrection story, and I thought that that was... You know, people are fascinated with the, with the resurrection, and so am I. You know, the, the, the biblical story of Jesus coming back and being resurrected is interesting to me. So, you know, if you notice that in a couple of episodes, someone says, they used to call you Black Jesus. You know, it was because I was really interested in this resurrection story. And do you come back knowing what being Black Lightning has done to you in the past, what it's taken from you in the past? How do you get back to that? I, was, I always saw it as an origin story, meaning when you decide, we always have a moment to decide when we want to get into a fight or when we accept our powers or discover our powers. And to me, I know you call it the resurrection, it's almost like the character can have two origin stories, you know, the comeback and and then one day maybe you'll get back to the origin. Yeah. One aspect of that, and my name is Keith Chow, I'm with the Nose of Color, so you can have a bookmark. Oh, thank you. Um, that's what I do. That's my kind of a secret identity. What I do during the day is I train and work with professional development with uh, principals and school leaders mm -hmm. who work in uh, communities of color and, mm -hmm. and urban areas. And one of the aspects I love about this new take on Black Lightning 
is that he's a principal. Yeah. What was the impetus behind kind of leaning into that aspect of his identity? I just thought it was a great way to stay connected to the community and talk about things that are happening in the community. And and I just think it's, you know, it, the, the image of this man walking through the school and communicating with kids and being... Uh, concerned about their well-being, I thought was just a... I didn't want it to be a perfect image, because he's not perfect, but I want it to be an image that we put out into the culture so that people know that this exists, because it does exist. You know, it does exist, and we don't get to see it see it that often, so I thought it would be great. Yeah, no, I mean, as again, as someone who works yeah. in the education field uh, with principals, and mm-hmm. particularly principals of color, and yeah. <laughs> seeing a superhero who's a principal... Yeah. It's pretty I mean, awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I feel like there's something we can do together, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they're the, they're the real heroes, right? Yeah. right? That's it. I love that connection. Yeah. Yeah. So dealing with the selection of kind of black like makers, how are you guys to like teach some of the newer viewers his origin, his origin and everything like about? Mm. Well, I, I, you know, there is the. That's a good question, by the way. So thank you. Um, we do want to show the origin story. It's just how. And, you know, I'll give you a little scoop that you may see it. You may see it in the last episode. <laughs> That's and for you. And you give little hints. I yeah. There's little, there's little nuggets throughout the season to kind of give you uh, puzzle pieces. They're not linear. They're not, yeah. they're not fitted together for you. But I think they're, they're, yeah. they're tasty. <laughs> yeah. Were there any particular like small moments from the comics that you brought in or wanted to expand on, or were like super excited to show on screen? I love that you kept um, Anissa um, lesbian. You know what I'm saying that 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 yeah. that aspect of her character. Um, I love that in the spirit, really, because it just reminds us that whoever we are, whatever our background is, if you want to be a hero first, you know what I'm saying that you can lead with that. You don't your 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 sexuality doesn't have to lead. Your your race doesn't have to lead. Your heart can lead, and that's what I love about it. Last question, guys. Um, hi, I'm Patrick with New Release Wednesday and the Nerds of Color. We're also representing Black Heroes Matter, hashtag Black Heroes Matter. Ah, I love Could I get you to maybe send a message to uh, our followers with the Nerds of Color and Black Heroes Matter? It's Black Heroes Matter and Nerds of Color. Yes. yes? Okay. In the bookmark. Yeah, maybe hold the bookmark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What's up, Nerds of Color? What's up, Black Heroes Matter? It's Mara and Salim in the house. <laughs> that was kind of corny, but I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. <laughs> All right. Maybe tell them to check out Black Lightning. Oh, yes, check out Black Lightning. That's actually the same Check out Black Lightning this Tuesday, um, January 16th, and every Tuesday. How about that? Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I was going to show you something. Hold oh. on. Oh, oh, oh. Scoop. Uh, it's not a scoop, but I can show you something. Hold on. I think it'll be easier if I do it this way. We're going to t-shirt and a euro. Oh, yes. Black Heroes Matter. It's a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. My boy, you're racist. Yeah. Of course. That's great. Did you meet him at San Diego? Yeah, there he is. Yeah. All right, guys. I'll be wearing my shirt at the screen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I'm just trying to wait for you to get by. Bye. Nice meeting you all. Thank you.
Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hi, I'm, uh, my name is Michael Schellen. I'm from Comics. I mean, and here today I have yes, Dennis Cowan and Alice Rand. And we're going to talk to you a little bit about Earth M. All right. Hi. Hello. And by all means, you guys introduce your, yourselves and let them know what outlet you represent, please. Hold on, you what? Batman Universe. Batman Universe. Batman Excellent. That's awesome. I'm from Talk Nerdy with us. Can I, can I sit next to you? Hey, I'm just saying. You know me. I'm with the. I know you, man. What's up, baby? How you doing? All right. Alice, I'm Keith. How are you? And it's been a while, but comic mix. So right. we haven't seen each other in some time. That's it's right. nice to meet you. I'm Emily Witten. Alice Vandal. And great to see you. Original course. nerd, like original gangster. I'm like way back <laughs> when, when when nerds were new. I'm Patrick with New Release Wednesday and the Nerds of Color. And good seeing you again, Dennis. Last time you. I saw you was at the Japanese uh, Milestone exhibit. That's right. Good to see you again, brother. Good to see you, man. I mean, I'm 58, so I watched Star Trek in the original, and I was on. <laughs> The only a black girl in Detroit, like we had a little. Uh, the other people in my Star Trek watching club were all boys. Oh, wow. well, you know that's actually a great first place to start because you know we represent the nerds of color. We talk about being uh, in the nerd space, but also being a person of color and, and viewing things Not like always Star easy, Trek. right? Yeah, well, it's a lot easier now. What was it like easier, but before? Kind of coming up as someone. It wasn't always look. Uh, it wasn't always great to be a comic book nerd or a sci-fi nerd and also be black at the same time. So how did you navigate? That is a great question. You know, speaking of Batman, my very first uh, long-distance phone call as a person about your age was to when Batman was canceled. I cared so much about it. And I was reading the comic books that my parents actually let me call from Detroit to New York City to complain. So I think that it was wonderful because the comic books open up an interior world as well as connecting you to a world, and it teaches you in some ways when you're not being you're not doing something mainstream to treasure the inner so I'm just trying to think about what it was like growing up as a black nerd because that's what I was right. you know you don't realize it at the time you just like comic books and you're skinny and you know how to run real fast to keep from getting beat up <laughs> that was like that's your training um, and nerddom you know uh, you're right now it is a lot easier but then you didn't it's not like you thought about it like that you know like you literally thought about I'm going to go to comic store I'm going to get my comic books I'm going to try not to read them on the way home because I got to look out for people People. And um, uh, and then once you were safe at home, then you know you could just let your imagination go. And it's funny, both of my husbands who have turned uh, were comic book nerds, and it's so funny because on each case, um, I was taken on my first honeymoon with him selling some of his comic books to take me on a, his collection to take That's me on an amazing collection, an amazing trip. And my second husband, when we were doing a variety of things, he too had an amazing comic book collection. That, so I, I married two black. <laughs> I think that you know one of the differences with me was that while I was while I was being a black nerd, I was dreaming about drawing and creating them. 
You know, like, I knew when I saw a comic book, that's what I wanted to do. Even though I didn't know that people really did them. You know, when you're a kid, you think they just kind of appear. You know, unless you're a very smart kid. I was not one of those kids. It took somebody telling me that somebody drew these. In fact, it was Derek Dingle. Somebody draws these. This guy's name is Jack Kirby. I'm like, oh... Like, he literally taught, taught, told me people drew them, and then I knew what I wanted to do. You mentioned earlier it's easier now to be a nerd of color than it was sure. before. Is it also easier now to launch a universe of black heroes than it was in 1993? Yeah. And why, why not? Um, I don't know if it was ever easy. Anyone can launch anything, you know. Uh, getting people to pay for it is really good. <laughs> you're, 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 no, you're asking, right? Um, and... Um, that's not easy because you're asking people to invest a whole lot of money in something that's untried and, and uh, that always takes some doing. It makes it worth it when you can actually do it, you know, because it's not easy. And because there's more profit in it now, there's more competition. Right. I mean, that right. Simply because and more pressure once higher. you get it. You know, once you get, once you sell a concept and once you do it, then it's really on. You know, then you re- then everything really starts. Your problems aren't over. They just start. Because so there's because, a lot to do. Because there's more competition, um, what is it that you hope to bring that puts your project, you know, makes us at the unique. top? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's how you look at competition. I don't look at other multicultural universes as competition. I don't look at, you know, what's going on with black Spider-Man or whatever as competition. I look at it as opportunity. You know, you can't have enough. You can't have enough black multicultural universes. If you have five more, you'll still be 200 behind whatever's gone before, right? So the more, the more, the more the merrier. So it's not really a competition issue for me. It's, it's an ex- and, not a... It's exciting what Dennis Cowan and Reggie Hedlund have been doing. Dennis you know, established this wonderful line that he's reaching out to new voices and old new voices such as me and in, in expanding what kinds of voices are occurring in comic book work. It, what, who can create and I think that's amazing that they are choosing to share the wealth because they could have done Dennis, they could be doing all of this themselves and they are bringing in new people and expanding the pond of creators um, Dennis right before you guys sat down we had the Black uh, the Black Lightning team seated, seated there and uh, when we were talking to them uh, before he got Black Lightning he was very interested in bringing Milestone back and then recently I saw you on the Secret History of Comics talking about Milestone Man, my milestone heart is waiting. Uh-oh. How close are we now? Uh-oh. I know there's got to be interest going. There's, you know, we're, we're all talking. Like I said, that's that's why we're here. We'll see what happens with, um, with, um, with all that stuff. Um, I'm glad that there is interest in the milestone characters in other media. That's that's great. Um, you know what's really interesting? I'll tell you the, the, the power of what we do. I went to Brazil recently. I was at CCXP 2017. It was awesome. It's like bigger than it's bigger than San Diego. Going there, it is bigger than San Diego Comic Con. I had no idea of anything. They just invited me. I'm like, well, I'll go. I draw comic books or whatever. So I get there. This is what I find out. As soon as I get there, they're like, "You're Dennis Cowan." I'm like, "Yes." And they're like, "You created Super Shock." I'm like. Who's super shock? Oh, their interpretation. Oh. Static shock. 
is a huge show in Brazil because people in Brazil are colored people and they're like we needed a hero and there's a, there were other black comic books and other black heroes but for some reason they latched on the static shock it was like a huge cultural phenomenon there and I'm like well why is that that's so interesting it's, no it's huge it's like people dressed up as static in a, in a way way past cosplay in a way that it was like from the heart like we're putting this stuff together we have no money to do this and we're putting this costume together because we want to show you how much it means to us that's the impetus of why we're doing what we're doing and that's the kind of impact that we could have in that in in, in, in a medium outside of comic books it was just it was just it was it was it was amazing and um, it kind of showed us that you know how our ideas translate internationally and 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 what we could do here even more you know, to, 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 yeah look out for it look out for it I'm going to have to line this up now I know you need to get your shout out I'm sorry I just fucked all over the platforms no worries yeah. okay. uh, well again Dennis on behalf of the Nerds of Color and Black Heroes Matter thank you thank you so much for Milestone we're super no, thank you guys. excited we can't wait can you hold up the, uh, the bookmark and do a shout out so we, we got to do, do a shout out to the Nerds of Color I'm Dennis Cowan from Milestone Media this is Alice Randall and we want to give a shout out to the nerds of color you guys are dope <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much thank you guys good seeing you Dennis great meeting you it's too long great meeting you great meeting you know Edgardo told me to just ask about uh, how's it going he's <laughs> like you're going to see Dennis just uh, make sure you ask him about the I know page. where's those pages <laughs> you know I texted him like on Wednesday or something like you didn't have this week. We still haven't announced yet, but it's coming. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, sir. What's your name? <laughs> That's got to be great. Nice to meet you. That's why you do this. Yes, you. Benjamin. Benjamin, do you have a question? <laughs> you can go. You can think about it. So, what's the difference playing, say, Ray Palmer to well, the difference between movie and TV is the time it takes to do it, for one. Movie, you have tons of time, and to do a, excuse me, a, a one-minute action sequence can take, you know, two weeks. <laughs> but in television, that same action sequence is done in half a day, um, because there's no time. <laughs> uh, and the difference between playing Ray and uh, Superman uh, quite a few big differences um, but um, the things that are similar are kind of their their their, 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 their passion and their reason for, for helping people um, wanting to make the world a better place I think kind of lives in both of them they just go about it in different ways um, um, to the best of their abilities so the take on Ray in the comics and the show yeah. is quite different sometimes um, were you a fan beforehand did you have any opinions on that or, or how have you approached that? 
I was not aware of Ray or the Adam uh, before uh, conversations about playing the character. Um, and I think they've adapted him in a great way to this kind of modern modern time. Works works great. Worked great for Arrow. You know, I think if it was a different show, if Legends had started out before Arrow, Ray would have looked a little bit different. Different. Uh, maybe he wouldn't be have Palmer Tech, you know, and been a businessman. So adding that businessman aspect is cool. It allows him to, you know, have attained uh, you know, certain uh, success and, and be able to work with a team and work with different people. Um, and um, I mean, I think that um, I don't know that Ray was as humorous in the comics, you know, uh, either. But I was so grateful. That's really what I want. Why I wanted to play this character is I was promised that I was going to be the levity in season three of Arrow and true to the word that's what I got to do and so that's still remains my, my favorite aspect of Ray is just kind of being silly and, and goofy and with you know a heart of heart of gold hopefully uh, Legends of Tomorrow has quickly become my favorite of the CW verse shows so congratulations thank you uh, for being one of my favorite shows <laughs> um, what I love about honored. it though is that uh, it's it's got this it's so bonkers crazy and, and you guys kind of leaned into this Especially after the first season, uh, I think you know season two on you kind of lean to let's just go nuts. Yeah. Uh, and to and to his question, um, having worked on Superman uh, like twelve years ago now, <laughs> sorry to remind you. Uh, I think about it all the time. Like, I'm um, and you mentioned that, <laughs> and they got a series. Go. Um, and 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 but the fact that like the, some of the special effects that you're doing on Legends is even light years beyond what yeah. you guys did on Superman Returns, yeah. and and doing time travel on a weekly show like how is that kind of like difference in terms of like doing a superhero movie and doing uh, a superhero TV show with the advanced technology and storytelling and 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 also you know you smart, smarter fans you, yeah. you trust the fans to follow the crazy time travel stuff that you guys do yeah um you know technology is moving at a rapid pace uh, the stuff that we did in Superman Returns which took months and months could easily be done in weeks um, you know they make the atom fly amazingly the stuff they do with miniature atom and they do they talked a lot about face replacement in Superman Returns um, and I don't think they used it so much but in Adam when, in the the E.T. episode uh, which was home, great home great episode uh uh of this season when when Adam Toy is sitting on the shelf that's all face replacement like that's the stuff that they're doing is, is pretty amazing and and that's only I mean that's on a TV budget that's right. not on a film budget so our special effects team uh, does an amazing job with everything they have to do I always say if you gave Berlanti's folks like a fraction of a big budget movie you guys could make you know your own Legends of Tomorrow film or your own version of the Justice League film yeah for a fraction of what they need Okay. Maybe someday. Um, you mentioned the, the bringing levity to the character and everything, and of course you've been Superman, and now you're Ray Adam, and you've been on Shock, uh, which I love. Thanks. And so, um, do you see the impact of your roles to the fans when you, for instance, go to events and everything? What do you think it's bringing to the world to have these characters on TV and movies? Oh, you know, for one, it's entertainment. Uh, 
that's the most we can do, then that's then that's a, a nice thing every once in a while. Um, and then I've met people who have their first date was going to see Superman Returns, and they're married and they have kids. And I, that's, wow, that's astounding. You know, I, I I play but a small role in that. I was the guy, but all these other people. The thing is, it's not just me. We all, everybody who made that movie and made it, thousands of people who made that happen, made that happen. So that is like a, something that connects all of us. And I think we don't always think about the people on the screen, but all these people helped create this moment for this couple, or for whatever experience you're having. So um, that's a that's a powerful thing to know that we are all influencing each other in so many positive ways. Uh, is what I think you know is is the transformational thing about film and television, and then and then putting forward ideas that are not talked about, subject matters that aren't talked about, differences, religions, ethnicities uh, that haven't gotten the light of day and, and need to be. Um, expressed that we are all humans and the same and deep down best expressed in fantasy yeah. yeah because we can't if we can't hear it somebody's saying it right to your face right <laughs> maybe this will help you well thank you so much thank you thank you, thank you Brandon appreciate it thank you uh, right there yeah sure <laughs> welcome yeah, thank welcome. you thank you hey hi hello how you doing is that your son uh, sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, thank you for being part of this. Thank you for being here and speaking. Oh, thank you for having uh, me. My name's Keith. This is Patrick. We're with the Nerds of Color. You're hey. free to take that bookmark if you like. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, okay. Swags. So, what is it like kind of being thrust into this position as, uh, you know, being a superhero? Yeah. Um, it's it's like, well, first of all, it's a dream come true, you know. Uh, I've always been a superhero fan. I mean, I used to get up every, uh, sometimes even set my alarm to get up to, to watch the uh, dating myself or watching the Super Friends back in the day. Finally, and someone who was a DC friend growing up. Oh, else is Marvel. No, no. I, mean, <laughs> I think, you know, I just was, I loved everything superpowered. And when I look back, I realized, oh, I was more of a DC fan than a Marvel fan because, I mean, it was Super Friends for me. Um, then later on in life, you know, watching uh, on the Cartoon Network, watching the Justice League. I mean, I used to, like, record that and watch you know, and so, um, and I'm just an animation fan. I mean, um, this is not DC or Marvel, but like, you know, Legends of Korra and, uh, and, and uh, you know, all these things uh, have informed who I am. And so I, I wanted to play a superhero so bad. So this is a dream come true. Yeah. How big is the father-daughter aspect of the show going to be? Because I, I like that, you know, you're already established that yeah. we're going to have Thunder on, which, you know, makes a difference. Because, yeah. You know, Barry Allen and, you know, he doesn't have a daughter or anything. <laughs> It's it's a huge part of it. I mean, Jess' family in general is a huge part of it, and um, Jefferson as a, as a father and um, I guess kind of a husband um, is it, well. They're they're divorced, but they but they they co-parent very well, and and there's a lot of love in in their relationship. They want to get back together, um, but that that's like an anchor point of, for the show, and it's going to continue to develop more and more as the daughters come into their own. 
yeah. bringing in the aspects where there's you know your principal and everything like that. So you've got you know you're a role model in two different ways: superhero principal and you're a person of color. And so how do you think? Um, what do you hope the impact is going to be on kids watching this and or adults? You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope that they embrace it. You know, and I hope, especially with kids, I hope that um, you know Salim has said it, and I'll say it as well. It's like you know if we can come around to Halloween and these little kids. Uh, 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 choose Black Lightning and dress up as Black Lightning. We've done something amazing, and so I hope that 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 um, they embrace it and it becomes a part of their mythology, a part of their fantasy life. Um, and with adults, I hope it just I hope that people love our show, obviously, and and want it for a long, long time. Um, uh, my kids in their college fund hope it hope that as well. But I also hope that it, it sparks an appetite for diversity, you know, that it sparks an appetite to have then uh, a show about an Asian superhero, has a, sh- a show about, um, you know, uh, the Blue Beetle, or, and, and, you know, I hope that it, it sparks a movement um, that uh, creates diversity and where everybody can look and see themselves represented. Yeah. And kind of going off of that when you're talking about diversity, can you just talk about the importance of being here for this event that is all about representation and is, like, it's happening on MLK? weekend and so can you just talk a little about like the importance of being here for this weekend oh this event? it's it's phenomenal you know i mean when we were at uh, san diego comic-con we were coming back um in july um when they told me like we're thinking about doing this at this time of year um i'd be quite honest i cried because of just like the impact and the fact that i was like and I get to be a part of that. I just felt so privileged. And it's just a wonderful, perfect convergence of time. I mean, it's MLK weekend. And all, so to have it here, and I mean, you know, I mean, you can't market anything better than DC and DC, right? I mean, that's, that's just Why made. Why have you never thought of it before? I know, right? It should be like every year. So I, it's just, it's it's phenomenal. And it's it's also phenomenal to be a part of it. I'm just so thankful. Yeah. Last question. With Thunder, will you, is she be like a Robin or? Will you be like, stay away from my superhero life? Don't, <laughs> don't help. I don't want you to get hurt. Or just, you know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, when when she starts to develop powers, I can tell you that it's a combination for me of pride because it's like, wow, my daughter is has a part of me in her, and but there's also a fear because obviously I don't want her to get hurt, and I don't want her to to like see the things and lose the things that I've lost by doing it. So it's a little bit of of a little bit of both. But, um, yeah, I don't want to give it away, but you'll be very happy. Uh, I'm part of the DC TV podcast network as well, and yeah. one of our uh, sister podcasts is the Black Lightning Podcast. Okay, they are cool. very excited for, for your show coming up this week. Could you speak into the mic and just say, I'm Chris Williams, and you're listening to the Black Lightning Podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm Chris Williams, and you're listening to the Black Lightning Podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Hi, Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. Before you go, I just want to say, on behalf of the Nerds of Color and uh, representing hashtag Black Heroes Matter, Thank you for what you're doing. We're, we're looking forward to you being our representative out there. Oh, man, thank you. I, I just want to say I'm, I'm extremely honored, and, and thank you for a, a accepting me, and um, I hope you really enjoy the show. I think you're going to love it. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you, guys, yeah. so much. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye. See you later. <laughs> I had a seat.
Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. John Reilly. Everybody good? Yes, sir. Have a good morning. Good. Just getting my video set up. So as while she's getting set up, I'm Keith Chan with the Nerds of Color. Hey, look at that. Big fan of yours. Actually, that's here's a here's a secret. No one's known. One of the inspirations for forming the Nerds of Color is that there was this website called That Minority Thing many years ago. Oh yeah. I know somebody was involved. I think so. That was one of the influences. I think one of the writers was a friend of mine, Micah May. Yeah. So she's a friend of mine, and that was one of the inspirations for starting the Nerds of Color. Well, so. terrific. I'm glad that uh, <laughs> so please have a, have a I, was, I was able to inspire somebody in some way, at least once in my life. Yes, sir. Uh, well, uh, thank you for being part of this. Thank yeah. you for coming here to DC and DC and speaking with us. Uh, it was just announced, your new book, the, uh, the what is it, The Alternate History of DC? The Other History of the, the other DC History of DC. Yeah. That is an exciting, exciting premise. Um, who approached whom? Did you come to DC and say, I want to write about Rene Montoya and Catan and all these characters, or did they come to you and say, we have all of these characters of color can you write about them? No, I, we had um, the second series of the American Way the American Way was underway and it was going very smoothly and they asked me if there was anything else that I want to do or write about and I said, you know, there's this project and I really, you know, I'm pitching it it was one of those things where the expectation for a no of like, no, you know, you, you can't take our heroes you can't do that, you can't and it was, everyone was so enthusiastic about it um, and just one of those things where I never felt in, in other work that I'd done that sense of urgency of, you know, let's do this. How quickly can we do this? Um, it was very, very exciting. So it was it was very mutual. It was something that I wanted to do and present it. But the enthusiasm uh, was just something that I'd never really felt before. It's an exciting premise. Can you just recount who, who are exactly all of the characters that are going to be in the book? I know Katana... Well, the characters I'm thinking about, and I don't want to say exactly because I don't want... There's some spoilers. At some, well, not even spoilers, but people going, well, you said this person would be in, and they're not. <laughs> right, but, right. You know, I mean, think of, of almost any iconic character of, of, of color, of a different gender, you know, Vixen, Renee Montoya, Katana, you know, certainly John Stewart's, um, uh, potentially Jefferson Pierce, you know, his family, his daughters. You know, there's, there's, there truly is a wealth of characters uh, to pick and choose from, and even as I, you know, I mean, this is only this news is barely 24 hours old, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I've had you know people coming up to me and go, oh, you got to have so and so in it, you got to have this person in it. So I, I'm very excited to. What excites me is the enthusiasm so far for people. You know, not just people going, oh, that's interesting, that could be a good book, but people going, you know, oh, you can have this character, or you know, what's the story, what's the format, how's it going to lay out? So I think there's something there, and I think um, the timing is right. The enthusiasm in there, and it'll be interesting. I mean, honestly, for me to see which of these characters make the cut. Everybody can't, um, but I'm excited for myself to be able to go back and, and go, oh man, I'd forgotten about this character. You know, Mal. Whatever happened to Mal? You know, but that's somebody who was there at the beginning. Yeah, and would love to see whatever happened to him. You know. I know that we're DC and DC, but I do have to ask, um, is the Marvel TV project uh, still something that's on any sort of back burner or murder in general, or has that uh, gone the way of the dodo bird? Um, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, you are at DC, but you can't say too much about Marvel. Um, I can't, if, if I was at Marvel, I couldn't say much about Marvel, so I can... Um, uh, the answer to your question is uh, no comment. Because we're in Washington, yes, um, and we're in the you know the capital of the country. 
politics and art mixing, mm-hmm. and you were you were known to not shy away from injecting politics into art. <laughs> and I, I wonder why why do people have such a, um, a, a visceral kind of like uncomfort discomfort with hearing about politics in art? Because Ishmael Reed has said writing is fighting, right? Like mm-hmm. art itself is a political act. Yeah. Um, you hear a lot of comics fans saying social justice warriors ruining comics when it's odd because Justice League I mean they love social justice I yeah <laughs> well I, yeah it is odd to me only in that as you say um, these heroes have always been social justice warriors you know from the very beginning um, and you look at the backgrounds of the individuals who created these characters they were extensions of fights that they were fighting so I think people who say that are just obviously ignorant of the history of um, the creators and, and, and really history of comics but for me the odd thing is I don't feel like I'm injecting politics in, in a lot of the work um, it's perspective it's reality that yeah. for um, people outside of the prevailing culture every day is a fight for um, dignity struggle I mean we're seeing that right now whether it's in Hollywood in the press in the media um, things that individuals women in particular have had to deal with um, on a daily basis and so do you say, well, that's politics to be able to talk about mm. how you're treated or demand to be treated fairly or when you're mistreated to have some kind of recourse? Or is that life? Right. So I write about life and other people presume it to be politics. Um, just realize everything that you've done has been politics. And I never felt like you were shoving down my throats, but that's exactly. how you saw the world. Right. That's how you felt. Um, that were your expectations. And I paid my money and I went to the theaters where I bought it and I enjoyed it. So all we're saying is, is do the same. Right. We're not always shoving down your throat, but... Yeah, actually, some days for us are struggles. Some days, as with Black Lightning, you're trying to be a dad or a teacher or a parent. Um, and things are a little bit different. But this idea that, um, oh, you know, you're shoving it down your throat. Eh, you're not shoving it down your right. throats. We're presenting it. And uh, we hope that you'll engage with it. And if you choose not to, there's, um, you know, several billion of us <laughs> out there who are prepared to engage with it. Right. So, yeah. Do you think that being able to play in a fantasy world helps you to um, express the concerns that we're talking about in a way you might not be able to, or they might not be as well received in a nonfiction? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's part of sci-fi or fantasy, Um, you know, whether it was Twilight Zone or or Star Trek. I don't think it was an accident that the first interracial kiss, uh, or at least what is credited as being the first interracial kiss on television, even though... Perhaps they slighted it a little bit. You know, it was, it was on Star Trek, you know, happening in the far, 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 far future. Um, but also that you had an integrated crew um, on a spaceship in the far, far future. So it, 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 the audiences for sci-fi and fantasy have, have, in my opinion, always been ahead of the curve. And, and an audience that has embraced, uh, has been open-minded... Um, I certainly think, like a lot of spaces, sometimes that gets taken over by... You know, it, does, it takes fewer and fewer people to suck up more of the oxygen now. It's, it's easier to do. But the reality is the vast majority of the audiences want to see these stories that transport them to different places, um, represent um, different individuals. Um, you know, it's just... It, it's obvious and it's true. So, yes, it's absolutely easier, but it, part of it is easier because that audience has always been more receptive. I'm also a big fan of the American Way, and Thank what you. brought you back to that world? Like, it was what ten years ago. It was exactly ten years. Um, um, it was. I. It had been ten years, and I just assumed DC. You know, they probably weren't interested in the property, and 
I called up and I said, yeah, it's been 10 years. It'd be all right if I, you know, I, I, I owned it, but I just professionally, I, I wanted to ask before I did anything with it. And they're like, are you kidding me? We, we would love to do this. We've been I think for the last was, 10 years. Essentially, <laughs> it was like two significant others who just never told each other how they really felt. <laughs> and the minute we called, I mean, they called me in and they were like, you know, what do you want to do? And I'd had 10 years to think about it. And they were like, done deal, let's go. So it was, it was really amazing, um, the alacrity that it happened. But I was just stunned. It's like, wow, if I had called, you know, Five, six years ago, we could have been on to the, <laughs> the fourth or fifth series by now. So um, it, w- it was a happy accident, but they, they could not have been more enthused about doing it, and it was terrific doing it with them. Now, folks, the panel is yeah. starting. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you want to do a drop for this? Yeah. yeah, if you want to do your drop. Wrap up real quick. Go ahead, Patrick. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate yeah. it. I'm Patrick with New Release Wednesday and the Nerds of Color. Um, we are also representing hashtag Black Heroes Matter. Um, if you could maybe uh, send a message out to our folks uh, with the Nerds of Color and Black Heroes Matter. Yeah. While Do you want you me to literally say that? Because my memory is <laughs> no, no, just, horrid. Just any, any kind of message or anything you want to say, um, you know, uh, as a man of color and representing in the characters you, you do. Mm. <laughs> All I would say is if you want to see more characters of color, of orientations other than your own, of other genders, you got to support. So get out there, support, watch, um, vote with your dollars because yes. that's the only way you're going to see more of it. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Sir. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's go to that panel. Am I going to be in the audience? Can I sit and watch? So after that, um, you know, we were given a choice of going down to the museum theater where we had seen Gotham by Gaslight the previous night and uh, watching the panel. Or we could stay up in the press room and, um, you know, watch it on the closed circuit TV. We wound up watching, you know, the panel in the press room this or in the um, auditorium. They gave us snacks. That's why. Okay. Give us a break. Well, I, I was about to mention that of all the press rooms I've ever done and all the conventions I've ever done, this was like the best set up press room. They had an open bar, you know, which, um, you know, I don't drink alcohol and I don't think Ben does either. But, you know, let's you, go Coke. Yeah, <laughs> we had Coke and there was a buffet with food. And it wasn't just like, you know, standard like buffet food, like every single hour. They, like, replaced it. Like, one hour there was snack wraps, another hour there was, like, mini burgers and stuff. The cool thing was, you know, you would get some of these um, talent that we were supposed to interview later in the day hanging out in there, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, grabbing food. So we saw Daniel Panabaker, who plays Killer Frost on um, The Flash, you know, and we, like, chatted with her as we were getting food, and we told her that we saw her sneaking a pizza in the press room over San Diego. Had a good (laughs) laugh over that, and... um, I know this story embarrasses you, but I, I think it's really funny. But like you know, we're sitting there, and someone brings, oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> someone brings a little Harley Quinn dog into the like into the press room, and it's it's a dog dressed as Harley Quinn, and like and we're looking at it, we're like oh that dog's so cute, and Ben's like oh you guys got a cute dog, and I look up and it's Dobby Mazow's <laughs> Bruce Wayne <laughs> Batman, and I'm like dude look at who the dog's owner is that's Batman. I don't know why you're embarrassed about it, but, like, it, Ben's mom had the same reaction because we later uh, posed with them and, you know, texted a picture. Sean Pertwee Alfred was there, and <laughs> and Ben's mom was like, is there any is there anything significant about those dog owners and why they're in the picture? I'm like, yeah, that's Batman and Alfred. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so, for the, um, so for the next press ta- table, which was Wonder Women and the Pride of DC... Yeah, so there, so there was a panel about LGBTQ inclusion and a panel about, you know, feminism and women. So 
We combined um, press things for those. First person that we spoke to was Mariko Tamaki, Shay Fontana, and and Agnes Grobaska. Um, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing these names correctly, but, you know, um, Shay Fontana of DC Superhero Girls. And I had a great moment, you know, to at least telling Mariko that uh, because she's writing She-Hulk, I was like, thank you for using Patsy Walker. I love her so much. We had Mark Russell and Steve Orlando, Marguerite Bennett, and Vita... Alaya? Hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right. Then we had um, somebody at the table called them the Flareoverse girls because of, you know, Flash and Arrow and stuff. Uh, Candace Patton. Katie Flareoverse? What? It's the Arrowverse. <laughs> well, that, that was a nickname someone gave. So Candace Patton, which is Iris West, now Iris West Allen, thanks for the spoilers. Katie Lotz and Daniel Panabreaker. Hey, that's my thing. <laughs> you can say it if you want. And then I think this is the Benson sister. Oh, so now I can say it. Yeah, now you can say it. Uh, ben, ben was told not to say thanks for the spoilers during press tables anymore. <laughs> Everybody? Julie and Shauna Benson, writers of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. And then Russell Tovey, who's the Ray and um, the CW animated uh, Ray series. Interesting. I have a theory if Ray is actually on Earth X. That's an interesting theory, <laughs> considering that it's, I think, the name of his show. <laughs> or, like, is or is that... It, it was time-filling while you were looking at things. <laughs> and then um, the Gotham City Sirens, Cameron B. Condova, who plays Selena Kyle, Aaron Richards, Barbara Keene, and Jessica Lucas, who plays Tabitha Gallivan. Yeah, it was one of those things where we had to kind of read the room, because at one point, I know that there was a question you wanted to ask one of them, and then I was about to let you ask it, and then, like, I think it was Katie Lotz or someone who said, it's so nice that we're somewhere where instead of talking about our characters, we're talking about feminism. And I was like, don't do that question, never mind. Like, <laughs> some of the people were okay to talk about their projects, uh, some of them weren't, so. Hi, we'll talk. And Hi, guys. Hi, there. 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 Hi, you can't say no. See if we can get you in the frame here. Should we sit like this? Um, yeah, if you want to take the middle seat, if possible, yeah, that's okay. For now, until other people... Hi, whoever's yeah. thing this is. That works, yeah. What? Excellent. While, while everyone's getting settled, I'm with the Nerds of Color, and you can have a bookmark. Yes, I can. <laughs> I'm also a huge fan. I love. Oh, thank you. Summer. And all the work you and your cousin do. So. Yes, we work hard. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, so my voice is like. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. My after. voice is that like Just jet lag voice. Hour. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, Patsy Walker is my favorite Marvel character. So thank you for including her in your She-Hulk run. Of course. It's like I'm so yeah. glad that she's being published. So. Yes. Patsy Walker is the best. I love it. I love friends. I always try to put like friends in there. So also, what what's been the transition going from like you know the indie comics world to yes. writing Batgirl <laughs> and Supergirl and She-Hulk and like what is how has that transition been going from indie comics to superhero comics? I think for me as a writer, it's focused me on the craft, and I think you have to understand comics in a way. Like 
when I write graphic novels, I don't include any panel descriptions, and I don't think about a page. I certainly don't think of 22 pages. And when you write for, like, a series, you have to understand the mechanics of an arc. You have to understand how six issues work together, how one issue ends so that you want to read the next issue. You have to understand timing, uh, and you have to understand a page, which I had never thought of until I started writing for mainstream comics. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think there's this kind of notion that the only kind of writing that's legit is, like, stuff that just comes from your own brain, you know, by your lonesome. And I think actually writing to a character that exists and writing to, you know, into continuity is really hard. And I think it's actually, like, a skill in and of itself um, that I'm, like, just getting now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, the nerdiest job in the world. Like, there's really nothing weirder than, like, talking about, like, Supergirl's arm hair <laughs> for, like, an hour. Um, but I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, interestingly, obviously we're talking about diversity and people of color and everything, but yes. I also noticed on the panel we just sat in on just the style and fashion of everyone, you were much more colorful than the last panel. All the women up there with your lovely hair and everything like that. Um, it seems like you're... Oh, we've got I'm going to have two more people. This is Shay and, and Agnes and these are right. girls. But if we continue so perfect timing. I was just color thought how much more colorful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys dressed up. How much more colorful, literally, the women's panel was than than the last panel before, where everyone was wearing black, even though we had you know some women and men on that I one. Got black. But um, <laughs> but also your lovely hair. So um, do you think that the uh, creativity and individuality of women is getting a um, a new and fresh look in comics? And how do you think that your perspectives on these things are changing that world that we've been looking at through male gaze a lot of the time. I know that I often, if I know a male is drawing what I write, I will put in fashion references because sometimes it can go very wrong. Um, <laughs> so I think that is something I'm conscious of. And making these characters look modern. And because girls looking at DC superhero girls, they look cool girls. You know, superheroes are cool. And if they look like they did in the 70s or 80s, not That's so That's cool. cool. <laughs> Sorry. That was a cool time. I think also there is a thing, you know, like when you're on a panel, like a Comic-Con, like the women are dressed, you know, well, well, well. I mean, I, I've always said, like, I'm looking forward to the day that I wear a t-shirt and jeans to a Comic-Con, and that's not yet, but I do think that there is like a kind of like, I mean, for me, it's my armor, like, especially if I'm going to be in a Comic-Con sometimes in, a, in the early days when it, the ratio was not the same. I would be like, I'm going to be so feminine right now that I'm, like, making my space with, like, my puffy outfit. <laughs> my that. picture in the back of the book has the pink hair, so now I always, like, have to have colored right. hair and nobody knows who I am. <laughs> so how is the process of writing a movie different from the process of writing a comic? So in the movies I've done, I've done all animation movies, so they are very much about having a lot of action, where in the comic book you do get to see a little bit more of the character development, you're telling a story in frozen panels instead of in action, so it's a little bit of a different writing process, although structurally I think they're pretty similar. 
Yes. So what do you think, or what is your, like, next big thing? What is your dream character to put into into to film or even even right. I would love to do something where I get to write the Golden Girls. <laughs> Yay! Whatever I'm doing. I would love like Golden Girls Plus. That would be fantastic. Like if Batman's grandmother was like, you gotta come and look after my place. <laughs> he had to like deal with like these women who are like that's not how you do the right. I think that would be awesome I don't know I'm kind of working on a dream project right now because like I've always wanted to work for DC not just work for DC but on their female characters so I was so annoying to try to audition for getting the job as the artist like I was persistent little bugger because I'm like see I could do it see I could do it and finally they gave me a chance so we're working on the, the space out right now we're working on a character called Jessica Cruz and I am so in love with this character because she is such a flawed character that's learning she's just basically the ring dropped she's a green lantern she got the ring she doesn't know what the heck she's doing and she's surrounded by all these girls that already know what they're doing they got their powers kind of sorted out and she's here going oh my god and I got to draw space and green lanterns I'm a lantern fan I got my black lantern fan ring on so this is my dream project these characters are flawed and amazing and relatable and they do just the coolest superpower stuff so I'm very happy right now yeah similarly on DC Superhero Girls and on Wonder woman the last three years with DC Superhero Girls. It's just been such a dream come true to be able to pick any of the female characters I want from the DC universe and be able to bring those in and to write them. I would like to do more male characters in the future. I think that's the next step for a lot of female creators because we kind of get pigeonholed in writing female characters. So I would love to bring those same sensibilities to male characters and when you have little boys reading them, they can see strong female characters too. Speaking of superhero how much collaboration is involved? Because it's it was launched as a multimedia project, right? It wasn't just a comic or a toy line. It was, you know, you have the middle grade novels that Lisa Yee writes, you have the comics and the episodes on, online. What? How much collaboration involved is, is involved between all of the various creators among all the different storylines? A lot. So I started very early in the process. I wrote the brand bible. I did the whole kind of creating of the universe, and then the other creators take that and go from there. So I wrote all the animation and the graphic novels, and then. And it is very collaborative with the artists like Agnes and the other people on the graphic novels, as well as within the other parts of the community, like Lisa Yee, um, who does the middle grade novels. It's always been a process of going back and forth and making sure we're communicating the same messages and always on that same female empowerment brand. So um, we're going to wrap. This is the last question for this group, and then we're going to switch okay. talent. Okay. Um, so obviously, we're all adults here. We're all fans, but there are also lots of little children. Well, we want to be. <laughs> We want to pretend, um, except for this guy. But uh, we, we, you know, we, there are a lot of little kids reading these. And um, if you had had this when you were a kid, like in other words, now that these little kids are reading it, what do you think in twenty or so years, thirty years, what, what do you think it's going to look like for everyone? What do you hope it's going to look like? I think the girls are taking over. It's just so, so incredible to see at Comic Con so many little girls in their outfits coming up. And they're, they're in a world where a girl can do anything. They have these books. They've, not, they've never been told you can't do this because you're a girl. So they're really, it's just going to be such such a powerful world in 30 years. I mean, I hope it 
keeps expanding. I hope the idea that, like, when Faith came out, like, the idea that you can have, like, a superhero who's a big girl or a big guy, like, I hope it just keeps getting, right? Like, I hope it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, Jin Yang Superman doing, like, Chinese Superman is awesome. So I think the more we sort of see that these characters are, like, vehicles for stories and not real people who will explode if you, like, do something different to them, I think it's going to be great. Like, I would super love to see, like, a... Uh, you know, a cast where like it looks like the subway in New York. Yeah. But not just for the background, but that the actual people who are the Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Love your nails, by the way. Oh, thank you. I know, right? I spent money on these. You guys. <laughs> Alright. Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to make sure we get to fit everybody in there. I guess I'll start. So this, you know, DC and DC, I mean, it's something we've never really seen before. It's all about representation and not just comic books, but on television and just in pop culture in general. So what does it mean for you guys to be here, be a part of this weekend? Um, I mean, on MLK Day weekend, you know, in DC, like what does it mean for you guys to be a part of this? Well, for me, the important thing about writing has always been taking your characters seriously. That's how you really get to the good stuff, is taking your characters seriously. So that these so that DC is willing to take a gay pink lion seriously enough to bring it into an event like this, it really allows me to do my job in, in taking the character seriously. It shows that they they back me up. It, it sounds like something that might be silly or frivolous, but I take it very seriously, and, and, and I think that I have something important to say in writing this this comic book, uh, the Staggleplus. The fact that DC would actually like bring me to an event like this <laughs> yeah. just proves that they do too. I mean, I, I agree. With what Mark said is dead on. You know, like it's it's the work we're doing inside. Uh, honestly, working for representation can be a fight. It's an important one, and it's important. And, and this is, I think, symbolic of that. I think about the fact when I was younger, this event would not exist. You know, like I, I snuck into comics uh, as someone who is probably, you know, by by you know, in the mainstream, not necessarily so wanted, which is a feeling that many people get when they enter. Like, not all, but some comic stores and some comic communities. Uh, and something like this would have been the messaging would have been totally different if it was 20 years ago. Uh, but the fact that we have it, the fact that we're here. And it's a cross-media event where it's not just like we've made progress in comics, we've made progress in a lot of fields. Uh, and in the topic of it being MLK, all I'll say is that obviously there's a lot of more work to be done. Uh, and and it's, it's really poignant for me just because, like, on one hand, you feel like you've accomplished some things, but I had my own sort of related experience in that, like, there is so much more work to do. I, I was sitting, I was in New York for a meeting earlier this year, and I was at the Amtrak station, and uh, completely alone, no security, John Lewis was there, and I met him, and, you know, I've wanted to do comics my entire life, uh, and I feel like I've accomplished something sometimes, but I meet this guy, and I just immediately feel as though I've done nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I talked to him, and I couldn't even really get out what, about what I do or anything, uh, and I sat on the train after, like, almost moved to tears just thinking about how much more there is possible to be done, and how little, even if, even though I, uh, it seems as though the things that we've done have made an impact to some people, there's such a vast wealth of work that's still out there, uh, and I just hope that we get a chance to do it. Things like this are a huge step in the right direction. 
Is there a, a dream project that you're thinking of right now that would be the next thing you're aiming for? Or, or the next point you'd like to make, perhaps? Um, do you have a dream project? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of dream projects. I have some nightmare projects, too. I'll probably, probably do some of those. But, uh, yeah, for me, I've, uh, I've always wanted to do uh, a project about uh, the end of the world. Just because I think that that's, even though it's kind of cliche now, there's a lot of post-apocalyptic. I didn't really so much want to do a post-apocalyptic, but I want to do an apocalyptic thing. Like, the world is ending, and this is how we confront it. This is when you really find out what's important to you, and a chance for the human race to really reassess its priorities, and what it should have done differently with its brief party of a time on the planet. And uh, and really, I think what I what I write, I, I try to take something that I think would be a good thought experiment. Like when I was writing the Flintstones, I thought, well, this is a good thought experiment about how civilization started, and about the things that civilization got wrong, and the problem, the the mistakes they made that we're still dealing with today. And I think I'd like to write something that is a thought experiment in the opposite direction. Like if it we're all going to end tomorrow, what would we say about ourselves and what we should have done differently? I read that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you two both get like get into comics and start reading them and start wanting to become or today? Well, I, I started, I started, I, I've been reading comics since I was about four years old, so I started buying them at flea markets and things like that, and when I was, years after that, it was when they made Superman an electric blue person, <laughs> and uh, I, there was an editorial about it, and I realized, sort of, that, you know, just talking about how they went through the creation of it, and I knew that this is just something I, I wanted to do, I had to do. As to how I got in, um, you know, I started going to comic conventions with scripts I'd written and comics that I had attempted to draw badly, and uh, meeting editors, meeting other creators, and, 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 and building relationships um, so that, you know, eventually, 17 to 18 years later, because I started going when I was quite young, uh, if there were, an, if there were when opportunities did arise, uh, they thought of me. That's how Midnighter happened. Uh, you know, I feel like breaking into comics is like a Rube Goldberg device. You need a variety of things to fall into place, and everybody's story is different. Uh, I can think of any number of things that could have gone differently, and I wouldn't have been there. For me, the real magic of comics is that whatever I think of, no matter how crazy or stupid it is, somebody else has to draw it. <laughs> and, uh, and to me, that's, a, that's an amazing power because uh, it's like you make your own movie, but you don't have a $100 million budget because with the $100 million comes producers looking over your shoulder and thinking about how this relates to things that were done before, how to make the storytelling safer, how to make it more sort of... Uh, digestible to the mass public whereas in comics because you don't have that huge budget they're not dumping a ton of resources in it you can make a movie but you can say anything you want because there's not they are not investing nearly as many resources in it so to me that's just like magical that's why I think really the daring edgy stories are not coming out of movies uh, anymore they're really coming out of comics and to be able to work in a medium like that where you can take any idea you have and bring it to life that quickly and that immediately it's like I, I don't understand why everybody's writing a comic book Steve I just want to tell you I loved Midnighter oh, thank fantastic you. and Mark Flintstone's brilliant I can't read, wait to read Snaggle oh, thanks. just outstanding work do you have a favorite moment from both projects individually 
Oh man, uh, many favorite. I mean, it's tough for Midnight. That whole book is a is a favorite moment for me. Uh, I think you know, the the publication of Midnight and Apollo. Uh, it we almost didn't do it, you know. Like we knew what was going to happen in it with Apollo getting shot and it being about Midnight or rescuing him from hell. And it happened like right after the Pulse shooting, where like the editor who himself as a gay man was sort of like you know maybe we don't do this you know um but then as we thought about it more it was like no wait a minute we absolutely have to do this because it has these characters going and and looking evil in the eye and just saying and and giving it the finger and saying well no like you know this time you don't win you know this time we're not going to stop so to me uh in that book, getting that moment where Midnighter beats the devil, beats evil itself, basically, and he has, you know, he steps on his face and says, you answer to me. You know, you, you, it's a moment that we needed. It's a moment that I needed. And I became very sort of emotional. I would give interviews to these very patient reporters where I'm basically just swearing on and on about why it's important that this happens. Uh, and and to give that to people, and, and if it even gives them a moment of catharsis or something like that, I needed it. And, and, and that's what I'm most proud of in it. I think I'm from sorry to interrupt. Uh, answer, and then we're going to move on. Okay. okay. I think my favorite moment in the Flintstones was the marriage uh, issue, just because it was such a pure uh, parable for me. I got to write it like like basically a, an Aesop's fable, the way the way I saw it, and um, and also it allowed me to, to create this primordial gay couple named Adam and Steve, which I, which I thought was funny. Great. Thank you guys well, thank so, you much. so much. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Hey guys, this is Marguerite Bennett and Vita Alaya. Uh, let's just do a quick round of introductions, and you're going to have about four or five minutes for the entire table, okay? Hey there, I'm Emily Witten from Comic Mix. Hi, nice to see you. Hi, uh, Patrick Michael Strange with New Release Wednesday and the Nerds of Color. Hi. Josh Fricconi, BatmanUniverse.net. Benjamin McIntyre, BatmanUniverse.net. Brian and Kramer from Top Nerdy with us. Anita Riggs with Quirktastic and Kafka. Keith Chow with the Nerds of Color. So you can have Oh, I will happily. Thank you. Heck yeah. I brought books. You got swag. Yeah, I love swag. We give swag out. I love swag. Uh, the best. So, uh, Margaret, I want to ask you about bombshells. Um, you, the the storyline about the Japanese American internment, uh, and actually the Nerds of Color and 18 Million Rising, which is an Asian American activist organization. We've been talking about maybe organizing a Twitter chat with you about uh, Japanese American internment. So I would love to do that mm-hmm. in the future. But what was your inspiration to do a story? You know, with the bombshells being set in the 40s. What made you want to do a story about Japanese-American internment? I guess a large part of it is um, my, my grandfather lives with my family, and it's watching him get older and realizing that we're losing this generation. And so much of American history is being lost with that generation, especially with Japanese internment. It's something that we are ashamed of and have never even dealt with. You know, I, I watch it fall out of the history books, especially on the East Coast. They learn nothing about it. Um, you know, I went through my cousin's textbooks. They're, they're based in North Carolina, and there was nothing. And even at the high school level, and it was just this horror. That you, you can't erase this. How dare you? And um, so I wanted, you know, I was given a platform that seemed, you know, it seemed time sensitive. It seemed 
urgence, um, especially with the, how the political environment was shifting. And that was, you know, even even before the election, um, you know, I had a conversation with my editor about um, highlighting, you know, these elements of history where if bombshells is an alternate history where we have a chance to revisit our failures and, you know, tell what could have been the possibility of a better world, um, that was one of the most crucial things that I wanted to address and to highlight um, for future readers. I love your pen. That's excellent. Thank you. So how, how, oh, do you, how do you convey that uh, sentiment through your art? I make it uh, more queer and more brown. Right. As much as possible. Yeah. I try to be as... I hate... I don't hate inclusive. I think that that's an important word. I hate the word diversity. I, I try to be as normalizing as possible. Um, because I grew up in New York City and there are a lot of people that look like all the people at this table often at the same table and you know you can't really tell what's going on behind the scenes but I identify as you know NB and as queer I you know I know many people that do so I want to put that into my stories as much as possible because that is all part of being human we you know I'm no one single part of myself they are all very important so Writing Batwoman, what challenges do you face, like, glancing off of Batman and just trying to deal with, like, becoming the like, owner and That is an excellent question. It's such an excellent question, frankly, that it was one of the, the theses of our entire series was what can Batwoman do that Batman can't? And so every single one of the arcs has tried to measure, you know, in a way that, you know, Batman, uh, you know, is so big that, you know, things, it's like the lion, the, the, the fable about the lion and the ant, you know, where he roars, but the ant just, like, goes down to the underworld. And so it was, you know, she's a character that can sort of break these codes that he has. You know, he's got the hard line against guns. She's not so sure about how she feels about it. You know, he's got the hard line against killing. She was going to be a soldier. And that was, you know, the, the taking of a life in battle was something she was going to have to address. And so there are all of these places where they are on such a similar track, but they have such divergent morals in how they interact with with their what they see as their duty. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a question that we try and answer every single arc to get a little bit more um, of that puzzle. Let me have time for one more question. So I am a plus-size black queer woman and it is hard out here and I am so happy you're doing what you're doing. Um, What is next? What is the thing you want to bring to the table next for people like us? in terms of DC, I just I had the opportunity already to write Amanda Waller, and that was yeah. one of my favorite things that I got to do. I was like, I want her as broad as she is, you know, tall. I want her dark. I want all these things. And they were very kind to me, and I just want more of that. I want more characters from the background to come into the now, I mean, in addition, on top of all the stories that we're doing, it's just we call it just the normalizing. It's bringing the world as it is and making it real and authentic and bringing that in. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Very Thank you. Much. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank you. That's so cool. <laughs> this is really cool. We didn't get one of these pamphlets. I wish we had. I don't, I don't have one of them. Yeah. So. The you have such a beautiful Sorry, signature in mine. Don't die. Oh, do you mind adjusting it for me? I can't even see you. Welcome to our table. Great. Good to have you.
so you all kick ass on screen. It's awesome. I'm so excited about that. Um, did you have to do a lot of crazy training you've never done before? And what was the experience like learning how to be those people on screen? Not, I, I don't think for either of us, really. You know, I always look at Katie, and she's so unbelievable. Her martial arts is so impressive. And I'm like, I want to do that. They're like, no, no, all you do is stand and put your hands out. We'll do it all later. <laughs> I, I was a martial artist before I was even an actor. And so I... And then a dance before that. So I've been training in movement since I was seven. And then, surprisingly, there was very little time for rehearsals. Um, you just don't have time. I mean, we're just yeah. putting out episodes after episodes and to find time in there to also do, like, a stunt rehearsal and learn it beforehand. So usually I'm, I'm learning stuff um, while I'm there. Like, we go, we block, I learn it, they set up cameras, I'm practicing, and then we shoot it. I guess it's Elgo. Um, so you guys kind of touched on it a little bit in the women's panel, but you know this is kind of like an unprecedented event. You know this is the first time this is happening. You know it's all about representation, not just in comic books, but in television and pop culture in general. So I was just wondering, what does it mean for you guys to be a part of this event? You know, obviously on MLK Day weekend in DC, but like, what does it just mean to you guys to be a part of this event? It's really cool. I'm just doing that women's panel was like felt really good and yeah. even now like talking about things and women's issues like not that I don't like talking about the shows which I do but it's very refreshing and, and I'm really passionate about women's rights and we all talk about it a lot and to be able to discuss these things and the fact that people want to hear about it that they care that it's important uh, it feels really good and this is a great platform for that and being here in, in DC is I don't know, there's something about it that makes it all feel a little bit more serious or yeah. important. DC and, is a place of change yeah. for our country, yeah. and so it's, it's really, um, I feel really honored to be here and have these discussions. These are really important discussions we're having. You should have seen Candace uh, in the cab. Oh my god, it's the White House! It's right is this your first time in DC? I mean, I've been here when I was like 13, but I, so yeah, it's my first time, and it's just, it's, it's every building has history and importance and we have so much power to change our country um, and so to be invited to something like this um, is incredible and kudos to DC and Warner Brothers for even allowing these discussions to happen that yeah. says a lot about these corporations that we work for that they're willing to bring us out and engage with the audience and, and have discussions about women's rights and, mm -hmm. and diversity in comic books yeah, it really is them. kudos yeah. to them because they're like I could imagine that people would be a little scared like yeah. like oh look at that <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's that's interesting because this is DC, and this event is the nexus of politics and art, right? And you have certain people who may say, "You don't want politics in my art. I, I just want to escape and yeah. and and watch superheroes." But can you divorce politics from politics? Art? Has always been an art. I mean, right. you look at Superman and his inclusion of people who are immigrants. Right. That was always a part of like his story and his character. Um, so it's it's always been there. Um, people who don't want that I, I just it's crazy to me well, Hollywood's pretty liberal but I feel like there's a lot of issues too that Hollywood feels are very safe even maybe if they're controversial but feels so strongly about them that we're they're like whatever we're going to talk about it and they do on our shows like 
with you know gay rights or whatever like there it's there's such a strong passion that it's like that what needing to say something that that it just happens Harvey I like what you said about um, how they're you know letting you come here and what are they going to say and everything like that it seems like um, modern Hollywood and, and all of us you know paying attention to this want to know more about who you are as individuals as you represent these characters and I think also that's coming across in the creation of the more dimensional female characters on screen do you have any thoughts on um, what you've seen happening as you've gone through the years of being in these in these characters <laughs> sorry yeah I mean we've, we've gotten to express our own frustrations maybe with the storylines or characters how women are represented how black women are represented um, gay women are represented um, and see the evolution of that to um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. Like, uh, no, I don't remember exactly what the question was. The essentially, as as you have portrayed your character, are you seeing uh, the rounding out of the female characters? And what have you noticed as you've gone? I mean, I think as we're watching these characters evolve, I think Warner Brothers, CW, also are watching them evolve and seeing where mistakes are being made or where things are working, um, where women need to be strengthened. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a course correction, and the more we do it, the better these characters And the audience wants to see it now. Yeah. Like, it's not... If they had made Sarah captain, and everyone was like, ah, no, like a woman, it shouldn't be the leader, then, you know, they'd probably change it. But it's like, they're going off what the audience wants to see. What the audience wants to see, Iris do things. They want to see you have your, you know, your work. Like, what is not just being a, a plot point to push a male's story forward? Um, so it, it goes... Honestly, I give the credit to... I give the credit to the, the audience for uh, demanding these things because they're the ones that are making it happen and then for the writers and producers to have the bravery to be able to take the chance and the risk to portray those characters and go that direction. Yeah, so like, I'm so... I'm sorry. That's okay. You're going to... You can ask your question then our young friend had a question and then we're going to be finished. Okay, thank you. First of all, I'm like super starstruck right now. Like, I'm trying really hard to like not shake. But um, thank you so much for coming here. Um, I am a woman. I am queer and black. And thank you. Oh You're just checking off all the boxes. <laughs> um, I'm trying not to. <laughs> um, what do you want to see your characters do next? Like, what is the next step? What do you want your character to change in like the general public? Like, what do you want your character to do? I think in the context of the show, I want to see deeper interpersonal relationships with all the different characters. I think we've done a lot with the superheroes, which is fantastic. But you know, originally our heart was all about the heart. Our show was all about heart, humor, and spectacle. I'd like to get a little more heart back. I think with my character, one of my favorite parts and most meaningful parts is the fact that she's bisexual. Um, having that representation and I think I would like to see her I'm, I'm loving the direction that it's going right now um, but I also think it's important to not like what, gay wash her yeah. and, and see that bisexuality because also like I think it's really hard for people to understand. People are not maybe around it, like what bisexual is or what it means. And so making sure that we 
keep that, um, and and so we make it more normalize it for more people. I think I'm pretty happy with the direction that we're going. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see her get back to being a reporter at some point. Um, I don't know how that works in our show. That's something I always kind of pulled out. Which means activist. Yeah. So the challenges you guys facing female in Oh, I think she was. What challenges? Is that what you said? Yeah. Challenges we face as uh, the characters, or no, as women in the male-centric DC universe. Well, one funny thing that happened to me when I, when Sarah first got put in as captain, in the beginning, everyone was like, "We need you to be uh, more authoritative. Can you say that more?" Like the everyone was pushing me to do it in a way that a man would do it and what they thought and they're like can you do it maybe you should be less emotional maybe you should need to be more can you say it more strong and and I'm like guys it's I don't need to become a man to be able to become a leader and and I thought it was really funny the way that they're like can you do it more captain-y more and like like I this I'm not I know how to be a leader like and this is it's different and so I thought it was really funny that they they thought for in order for me to be a leader that I had to be kind of like a guy rather than just being able to play it how I thought I should play it for me I really struggled for several seasons with Caitlin having an identity and maybe you can relate outside of the man she was with you know for three years she just got a boyfriend every year and <laughs> yeah, so I definitely have struggled with that. I think sometimes it's little things like, you know, working with a lot of male directors, they would make choices just naturally and just out of being naive or just subconscious choices. And it wasn't until we had a female director on the show for the first time and we were in the West House. And usually Iris is bringing something out of the kitchen and sitting it down for the boys. And she said, wait, no, 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 no. She's like, Joe, why don't you go get it? Iris will already be at the table, like sitting down. And it was the first moment that I was like, it's important to have women in leadership roles to make interesting, diverse choices and, and make a decision like that where Iris isn't always the woman going to the kitchen to bring something back yeah. to men. So, yeah, that's been a challenge. Just dealing with a very male-heavy directing situation. Male-heavy directing, male-heavy writing. Thank you so much. Thank you, so much. Thank you guys. I love your Good question, little man. this over before the battery dies completely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we have Julie and Shauna Benson, writers of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey and The 100 on CW. Hi, guys. Thank you. I didn't know you also did The 100. Hey, yeah, the Birds of Prey comics, I feel like, are the best for women out of any comics. Yeah. The way they're it's written, the way it's drawn. Oh, like, it's so cool of you to say that. It's, yeah. I gotta call my mom. She was so thrilled you were gonna be here. She's like, can you tell that girl that she's so good on that show? <laughs> tell your mom I said hi. I will. Thank you. <laughs> can we get a Birds of Prey TV show? Yeah. <laughs> we have I know. One. Where's Sarah well, no, Schechter? <laughs> Ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. It's now perfect time. Yeah. It is now perfect Because time. you can you can definitely have a show with five, four or five female leads and nobody bats an eye at that. It really does feel like the perfect time. What is, right? that, what is that like for you having worked in this industry for some time and now it suddenly feels different in a way? It's 
it's empowering. It feels like, look, I, I've never been a shy flower. I, you know, I speak my mind to my own detriment. But now at least other women are doing the same thing and, and feel empowered to support each other and to talk about how much we make behind the scenes so that we all are informed. Because if we're not educated and we keep everything as a secret, we're never going to advance. We can't get past it. And we have so many, we're surrounded by so many good men too. We're lucky that we've had a lot of good um, peers and support, you know, just support in comics and in TV. Uh, you know, we've been really, good really bosses. fortunate. Yeah. yeah. Not really a question, but I had to thank you because growing up in the 90s, Barbara Gordon as Oracle uh, was like what I came up with. And it's great right? that she's back girl again, but something was, you know, missing. And I was saying, why can't she do both? And at the end of that first Birds of Prey arc where you have, it ends with Barbara Gordon sitting in the chair and she's like signing on as Oracle and it says next issue, Barbara Gordon as Oracle. That was like the you comic version of a hug. And, <laughs> you know, just, that was a hug to and, us. And yeah. really what, no, I you hear know, you. what the spirit of rebirth was, you know, like, you know, having the best of both worlds. So yeah. thank you for doing that. Oh you God. know, it was, it, thank, it, Our thank pleasure. you for saying so. Um, we, I think it was something we also kind of did, <laughs> evolved into. I don't know that it was necessarily in our original game plan because there was sort of this idea of let's have a new Oracle and see what happens. And we thought, well, that's fine. But Barbara Gordon is Oracle. Let's all agree on that. And, uh, you know, and so I think that, you know, being able to come to that and every, there being support for it within DC of saying, yeah, this is this is right. You should do this. Um, yeah, they've been on board with almost, yeah. almost every decision that we try. It, yeah. It's been really great. We're like, can we have Ivy? Can we have Cap? Right. They yeah. check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah, you have to be careful little... about continuity, but um, <laughs> we steal whoever we can all the time. Oh, yeah. I have a question about Ivy. Actually. Go on. I love your hat. So, Ivy is, in general, kind of sort of like a means to, like, an end a lot sometimes with Do you foresee, like, her, like, running, like, you know, really running the show for once, like actually being the one in charge of something, not just helping something. Does that make any sense? Oh, sure. She needs her own title. Yeah, she, she needs her own title. She's been around for such yeah. a long time. Yeah. And she has ridiculous abilities. Yeah. And, 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 and intelligence. Yeah. And it's not just the sex appeal. It's right. like yeah. every. She's a full package. Right. Um, she can be a true superhero. Right. We were really excited in the manslaughter arc giving her. She got the win. Yeah. She got to come up with the potion that saved everyone. And that, to us, that was so important because she can be seen as the villain. And giving her a heroic moment, I think, is important for hero or villain. To understand that at the base level, she's a human, and that's what's important. Right? It was also a heroic moment that didn't involve her superpowers. That's right. Right? It her was. Brains. It was. I mean, that that is her other superpower is her intelligence yeah, and her that. scientific knowledge, and it's that that got, got them across the finish line of you know solving the problem and, and you know curing everybody. So I think for us, it's always like if we can find a way to indicate that it's not always about how hard you can punch mm-hmm. somebody or tying them up in vines or whatever it is and there, you can win through other means and usually through your wits which you know that was a very Barbara's Oracle thing I mean that was pretty much what she had you know except for the couple of times when she like would attack people with nunchucks in a wheelchair which was bad ass but you know really generally you want to you want to hone in on many different ways of portraying the character and so 
we like being able to give Ivy that moment. Yeah, man. I hope she has a book someday. Yeah, That'd be cool. great. Yeah. Um, I want to say thank you for your amazing body of work. And as a father of a oh. fangirl who is getting into everything and is so creative. Oh, that has to be yeah. so fun for you. <laughs> oh, yes. Being a fan dad, you're like, oh, let me show you. Oh, let yeah. me show you. So what I would like to get from you guys is maybe a message to those aspiring fangirls that are trying to yeah. create and want to get into this. Anything you have to camera. You mean uh, writing comics, to, writing this, tape, any of learned, that? Sure. What, a message you want to send out to those fangirls? We used to write fan fiction. We used to... We would write Doctor Who fan fiction. We would come up with all sorts of silly stories. We told our stories. Yeah. And that's where you start is take the thing you love the most and write your version of it. And then you're learning, you're getting, you're honing your skills, right? Because you're taking a character and you're creating a new situation for them. And then you build on that and say, okay, you know, I've done that with Barbara Gordon. You know, I'd like to write my own thing. Well, what qualities do I like in Barbara Gordon? Oh, I would like my character to have a few of those. And what qualities do I like in Poison Ivy? Maybe if she had a few. So taking what you love and try to find and build a new character, I think is so important. I think also, don't be afraid of what you love. Yes. Love what you love. And don't be ashamed of it. Yes. You know, if you love My Little Pony, love it. Love it. <laughs> you know, if you love, you know, Star Trek or Doctor Who, yeah. or love it. Yeah. You know, there's no reason not to. I mean, it's joy. Fandom should be joy. Yes. That's the thing I think is We've is unfortunate a little. A, little, a little bit in the present day is that there's so much emphasis on things that go wrong, <laughs> things that don't seem right, that you, you, you lose track of the things that are, that are right and, and that you love about it. And then you start to wonder, like, well, why are you a fan? If all you're going to do is complain about it, why, why read the book? Yeah, why read the book? Why watch that show? Why Do something else. You know, it, there are so many options. If, it's, if it doesn't make you happy anymore, move on. But like, uh, for yeah, a young girl, I would say, you know, we dressed up and went to conventions. We wrote fanfic. We did it when it wasn't cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we hid behind we it. Made we made hit movies in our basement. We made, you know. So all those things, eventually, someday, will mean something. Because you'll become a really good writer if you're writing. Write, read. You like a TV show like The Flash? Get a script of that episode that you like. And right. read it. And watch it. And see how they did what they did. Start to figure out how the sausage is made. That's the best way to learn. Right. And then you go, oh, I see the tricks. You'll start to see all the formula, and you'll start to see, I see how they make TV now. But and, I, yeah. But I also, or comic books. Break it down. Yeah. I also don't think that, you know, she should be afraid of, if it's not her cup of tea to write something, you know, maybe she'd rather be Oracle, not necessarily in a wheelchair, but yeah. she wants to be get, someone who get is a computer, computer science to you know, get, be in a, get into a STEM, uh, you know, uh, area, a field of expertise. I've got to wrap these two. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Really getting with her. Right. Anyway, so do that. All right. Follow me. Okay. Oh, there we are. We have the same stupid bio. Too. Yeah. Well, that's you know. They also mixed up our names. Did they? Did they <laughs> oh my god. Fighters, <laughs> the ray. We only have time for two questions. Hi guys. Oh, ready for How's it going? Hi there. Hi. Welcome to the table. Thanks. This is the fun table. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that going around that this is what they've said you want to get on this table it's really exclusive they're quite cliquey but if you can get in there uh, when we were doing the animation you yeah. know, the ray and everything did you know that you know you get a chance to do it with the live action crossover I did them both at the same time so I was filming the live action crossover and at the weekends I was going off and doing the animation so they fed into each other which was brilliant what was that experience like doing so 
you know, you, you went in and you said, I'm going to be the Ray. Yeah. Because it's, it's one thing doing voice acting. You yeah. don't have to wear a, a helmet and I costume. did. I always do. But yeah. <laughs> to get in character. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but to go from that and then going on the stage with all of these other superheroes in their costumes. Yeah. What, what was that transition? Uh, well, yeah, doing animation is very solitary. You have and they, we have people down the wire in LA who was talking to me and directing me while we was in Vancouver doing the voice. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you go on set. Well, what, what was just brilliant is that the origin story gave me all of my research and backstory for Ray Terrell so when I went back to do the live action stuff I really knew who this guy was I'd really fleshed him out because they've given me all that information so they definitely like played into each other and being on set with everyone in their superhero costumes was just bonkers it was just I remember one day and you sit, you must have seen the lineup shop with all of us we was all there that day all in our squeaky leathers and we were all looking at a hologram which wasn't there and I remember looking around going like this is this is awesome this is like this is proper this is proper but also this is crazy this is like insane but it was it was amazing yeah Would you have finished the live action puzzles? What's up next for your Kyoto? Um, don't know. We've got more of the animation coming out. Six episodes have gone out already, and I think there's another six coming out. I think you might see one today, another one at the panel. Uh, maybe we do more of that. I've no idea. It's all, it's all up for grabs. Everything's out there for discussions. Did you realize when you were doing the filming and, and voice acting that fighting Nazis would be so relevant? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think so, yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I know that you can't give away any spoilers, um, but we've all been dying to know what the heck did Ra's al Ghul do to your hands. So you can't tell us what he did, but can you tell us when we'll be seeing some answers about that? Soon. We, we just, we're just filming it now, so the, it'll be 16, 17, 18, 19 is where the big development of that And it's worth the wait. And with um, your new club, like, well, not club, the gun shop blown up, you know, are you going to be back in the Euro Club, the Iceberg Lens? Like, what's the Siren's new status quo for the second half of season four? What's our new status quo? We're in the club, aren't we? We're in the club. <laughs> yeah, we're back in the club. Yeah. We're in the club. I think so. I think we're, we're kind of all branching off and doing our own thing for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and exploring other things. And then I, I, don't, I think maybe the plan is to bring us back together. Yeah. But yeah. We find our way. We're star-crossed lovers. Not really. We're not breaking up, but... We just have other things exploring other animals yeah. for a while. On a break. We're, yeah. we're our own individuals outside of the entity. Mm-hmm. Well, Cameron, with you doing your own stunts, what's it like? Uh, do you have to do a bunch of training? Have you, do you already know the stuff? Or? Um, I do do a lot of training. I haven't done a lot of training recently just because life. But um, I always get, I made it to where at the beginning, of this season I talked to the producers and stunt coordinator and said that I wanted to be more involved in the stunt process and so um, I actually have rehearsals now and um, sometimes they'll last like three hours just because I just want to keep doing it and I actually get to collaborate so some of the choreography is actually my input um, which is really fun because I came from dance and I like to choreograph so um, to see something on TV and say oh my god that was my idea it's it's really cool so yeah <laughs> 
Um, so we're here in DC for this, you know, historic weekend, and this is a really unique event. What do you guys think of, as opposed to a Comic Con? You know, what's your experience with this? It's very I'm just different. Saying it was so lovely and empowering um, that we just get to openly discuss these issues in an open forum like that, um, and I felt like the audience was really warm and receptive to it, um, which was really nice. I just, I, I was just talking at the other table about how I've been in this business longer than even came. Like I started when I was 14. So I've been in it a long time, and the shift now, like, I would never have been on a panel with a bunch of women openly discussing how we feel about playing these characters and where we want to see the industry going and talking about pay and things, so it's incredible. The shift is incredible. There used to be a real feeling of, like, you would just kind of toe the line a little bit, you know, you'd smile and you'd say what you needed to say, and now it just feels like it's been blown completely open, and it's almost welcome, like, of feelings, our thoughts, like our reflections on how we should be treated, what we should be wearing, how much we should be paid, like everything, every single aspect of our lives is open for us to be like, no, this isn't acceptable anymore. And, and to not then lose our jobs instantly or not get another job because it's like, well, if all women are saying this, then you will have no choice but to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Because there will not be no other woman to take the job. Because <laughs> my sister's like holding out and not exactly. letting that happen. Yeah. And it feels nice to be in a space that is welcoming. Because a lot of the time, I feel like the topics that we're that we're discussing have always been kind of shut down, like feelings, like depression and anxiety. And I've never been in a space where that's actually been interested in. And to be in a space like this, where stuff like topics like that are welcome, and topics like money and 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 job security it's it's nice to be able to have a space that you can just talk and not be judged and then hopefully that will expand out to other industries because we're so aware that like we are in a bubble essentially we're um, already quite privileged we're very privileged yeah we get paid really well we have really good um, you know support around us so the the hope that is that this doesn't feel ostracizing for other women in other industries and that this like trickles out and down and up and around so that everyone feels this same amazing feeling of not a not a question but oh, a personal nice. comment. Nice. I appreciate the comments about women sticking together because often yeah. women might compete over like, oh, I, I want to be the best one or, or well, I need this job. But if we all share yeah. the pay and everything like that, I think that is the way to go. So I really appreciate hearing Absolutely. that from people who are setting the pace. And I think that competitiveness comes from like the scarcity, right? Like the scarcity, the lack of the female stories that are being told that there's not as much, there's not as much for us to get, like whether it's money or, or you know, whatever whatever the role is. There's like you know four female characters and ten male characters. So then it, it forces us to compete with one another. So hopefully, like, the more stories that are told, more women that are writing, more women that are directing, we won't have to compete with each other so much. It'll be room for all of us. I just want to make a quick statement. I absolutely love Gotham. I love you ladies. And my daughter, who's a little fangirl herself, she wants to watch Gotham. She hasn't watched it yet. But she's a dancer. Oh, and really? I want to tell you directly, she loves, she's, she knows you through your music. And, and, and oh, my God. And she's seen a lot of your work, and she's mimicked it in our oh dance area God. of our house. So, you guys are fantastic. And Madison Taylor Strange loves you. Madison, I love you too. Thank you. Uh, 
got to watch Gotham. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she gets a little bit older. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit violent, you know. Yeah. Just, just yeah, a bit. Just a little. Just by. Oh, yeah. Super I, I, I get that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. I think, we, thank you. I think we got the signal. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. Barbara Keene is the worst Uber Eats delivery driver ever. Bringing <laughs> the Thai food and shooting them instead. Anybody order Thai food? Good, because I don't get any. <laughs> Never broke her stride either. I know, right? I love that scene. It's really fun. Thank you. I like doing stuff that's like physical, but physically kind of like like almost like dancing, you know, bits like that. Physical comedy. So the last one that we did was Aftermath, Battle and Trauma in Comics, where people talked about uh, PTSD and, you know, and mental health, um, you know, and military representation, not, you know, not only in the comics, but in the real world. Mm-hmm. And the people who we spoke to for that one was first Jason Inman, who um, is kind of like a podcasting cousin of ours. He hosts DC All Access, but years ago, his wife, Ashley, was on a podcast with Donovan and uh, I and uh, and our friend Chris um, called film review oh and kevin was on there too <laughs> and then the second person was melissa bryant who um helped moderate the panel and she you know helps uh, train people so that was a cool person to talk to dr vanette murthy which i thought was really cool because he was um the former surgeon general of the united states and then jw cortez who plays alvarez one of the cops on gotham you know who's kind of a background character but you know he he has lines and he's one of like He's kind of like the Wedge Antilles of Gotham in that, like, he survived every single thing. So, any comments or favorite moments from that session? Uh, my favorite moment was probably whenever they, uh, when the ex-surgeon general went face-to-face and they talked to me about the, how the mind and body are connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was, and, and, and that was, like, a special moment for me as well, just to, like, kind of, like, you know, see him talk to you and not really, like, you know, some people, you know, can be very condescending when it comes to, like, kids, but um, I thought that he talked to you, like, on a very, you know, on-the-level, you know, thing of respect. And I also loved talking to um, J.W. Cortez, and um, I liked your question to him about Alvarez, you know, and <laughs> if Alvarez would feel PTSD, I was like, you know, that's a very good point, because all the stuff that Alvarez has seen, <laughs> it's got to drive him crazy. <laughs> If you guys can do just a quick introduction of who you are, I'll give you five minutes with Jason, okay? Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank Hello. You. Uh, Hi. This is Josh. I'm Benjamin McIntyre. We are with uh, BatmanUniverse.net. And I did a podcast with your wife for like five minutes, like three or four That's years right. ago. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Brenda Kramer. I'm from Talk Nerdy With Us. Talk Nerdy With Us. I need a report testing. Nice. I love your hat. <laughs> I'm Chana, also known as CC the Greek Geek from Fort Court Testing as well. Oh, nice. Thank you. I'm Keith Chow with the Nerds of Color. You can have a bookmark. Please. Oh, that's awesome. You can have one. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice, nice. Patrick with New Release Wednesday as well as the Nerds of Color. Yeah. Okay, nice. Cool. Sweet. All right. I've never done a round table before. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you're the guy giving right. the That's right. That's right. That's right. I saw your, your name on this and I was like, that's so, because you know, I've been following you since before you yeah. got the all-access gig. So, like, what's it like going from someone, you know, who was a podcaster and a fan following this stuff and now... You know, you used to do these things from the other side. Now you're on the other side. So how's that experience feel? Or are we popping your cherry? Are we the uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I, I would use that vernacular. But, 
But there's no kids at the it, table. It, it is. It is <laughs> it's interesting. It really is interesting to go from like where you guys all are to like this side of the table, especially like an event at this. Um, but I don't know. It's it's also kind of humbling as well that they asked me that they even considered me because it also shows um, the respect and kind of that they would give to the rest of you. I mean, come on, we're 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 the same, yo. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the same. It's just um, where our paycheck comes from is different, you know, yeah. right? So it's it's really nice that that didn't um, knock me down in terms of this panel. Like it just they were like, no, you're you're all part of the family. Come on, let's talk about this. Let's do it. So so surreal. Right. <laughs> all right, there you go. This is a very important issue that we were talking about mm-hmm. on the panel. Obviously PTSD, and um, it doesn't get enough play. Do you think you have seen a good effect from what's been going on recently? with like what Tom's been working Tom King's been working on etc mm-hmm. yeah I do think thank you I, I do think it's increasing um, and I again like I talked about it on the panel that I think it's simply more to do with a numbers game really is what I think I think there are more and more people out there that are suffering from this um, disease than weren't 10 years ago and so I think that's leading the issue to be talked about more um, there is a, a Netflix show from uh, a distinguished competitor of this company uh, that really deals with this issue that I shall not name but I think it deals with this issue really really well you guys well. are the distinguished competition well yes we're calling them the distinguished competition uh, the company that shall not be named um, that has mouse ears. Um, um, they, they made an excellent show uh, that really deals with PTSD, and I thought it was like one of the best representations of PTSD out there. It is, uh, on the panel, the point was brought up that it is a forgotten disease, and it really is because the symptoms aren't physical. And again, for so many years, people would just be like, Man up. Right. You got right. shell shock. Who cares? Right. Like, what are you, are you afraid? And now it's finally realizing, like, no, like, this is a super traumatic event. And it is time that we deal with it. I'm actually really glad because um, stories like Mr. Miracle. Um, could be the touchstone for PTSD in terms of comic books. You know how comic books have these touchstone stories? Right. And I think Mr. Miracle could be that comic book because we don't have it right now. Right. In your panel, you talked a lot about um, about post-traumatic stress as it relates to the military and servicemen and servicewomen. But it was also made very distinct that PTSD is about trauma and not about war. Mm-hmm. So... It seems like we're in a culture now where you pretty much have to have that war experience to validate your trauma. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are the challenges that we that need to be addressed or the hurdles that need to be um, leaped over in order to validate trauma beyond war, the war experience? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I, You know, I think it's the same thing that... Um, everything in human society is incremental you know like a little piece by little piece by little piece and I think with the acceptance of uh, the war trauma and veterans and stuff like that I think it will translate into trauma the other events um, and I hate to say that it has to be a stair or a ladder but it, it really is because humans brain don't work no good um, so that's that's how that works um, but uh, you are totally right because like you could have a horrific car accident and still have PTSD you could you could do so many things and get PTSD it's not just war but I think it's because again like it's the easiest thing for us to label and human beings we love to label things and I think that this is the label we understand now we didn't understand it 10 years ago so hopefully 10 years after we start moving towards that event I hope so and speaking of broadening out trauma 
and what it means. I think for a lot of superhero narratives, they're all born out of trauma. I mean, mm-hmm. Look at Batman. Right. Look at yep. even Superman. Right. You know, like they these characters have a traumatic event, and they and they become superheroes because right. of that. Traumatic event. How how is that made more or less explicit through superhero narratives? Um. That's a good question too, man. Uh, you, the guys, best table. you guys, are, you know, <laughs> you guys are setting the bar high. Um, you know, I think it's translated through superhero medium simply for the reason that um, superheroes are that lens that we look through the world because it's escapism and escapism yes. is the thing that we want to relate with it but we also if we don't see a piece of ourselves in it we don't like it mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because yeah a lot of superheroes are orphans yeah. which is a traumatic experience yeah. I mean if you think about it if Superman was 10 when Krypton exploded right. he's a completely different hero right. than being a baby, a baby because which how, is the Supergirl story exactly right. exactly and, and you think about even with Supergirl that's a good point think about with Supergirl like her PTSD has to be insane right. she yeah. lost her entire species right. you know she saw her home planet explode right. and that is that's a great point because that's something we haven't seen explored in the comic books and it would make for such an amazing fascinating story because yes. I think it would do what you talked about before, it would open it out of war because right. it's not a war issue, right. and then also it would also give it a really great lens because it would come from a female perspective. Right. So, right. Um, writers out there in the world, uh, get on that Supergirl PTSD story. Right? <laughs> Just one more thing about Superman. I think often we, we associate him with the immigrant story. Mm-hmm. But really, he's a refugee. Yeah, that's that's a that's a more mm-hmm. accurate portrayal. Yeah, hundred percent. And Supergirl is like even more represented right. because she remembers the old country. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. That's thank you, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. We have Melissa Bryant. She was our moderator today. She went to the IABA. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hi. Yay. 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 <laughs> Love your get up. Oh, no. Thank you so much. <laughs> she's a hit everywhere she goes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, what can I do for you guys? Wow, are, are you our junior roving reporter here? <laughs> they come in all sizes. We got our own. Yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, I'm just the bike size package. Ah! Fun size. Yeah. Let's talk fun size. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fun size. We're, this is a family size. <laughs> like a pony size or whatever they're calling it. I love it. Well, I'm fun size too, so I get it. <laughs> I had to wear my heels today. So, um, obviously, you work with these issues in, as they say, the real world. And um, what is it like for you seeing this DC and DC come to DC, where we deal with that in the governments, etc., and have a panel like this? Like, what does that mean to you? Well, for me, at least, you know, I... I'm an advocate. I'm on uh, in the, on the Hill and working with the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs. And, you know, my job is super wonky and I talk in super wonkies. And um, it's fun to just come here and let my inner geek come out and just, you know, just be really jazzed to be here, even for myself freaking out. Like, I'm on a panel moderating with, like, you know, real actual stars <laughs> and a former Surgeon General. What am I doing here? My, my inner, like, geek girl came out of that. And so I love being. Being able to take something that is 
so richly substantive mm-hmm. and convey that in a medium like comics and, and talk about not just comics but across the entire entertainment industry of how can we talk about what we go through um, as soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines, and how can we bring that to the national conversation? Only 1% of us serve, but 1% of the population, and so there is that, what we call the civilian-military divide, and just not understanding what it is. And, I mean, for me, every day in my walking life, like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, and I'm also a former soldier, and so I know that I carry my truth with me and everything that I do, and I'm glad to be in venues like this to where I can take that forward as well. Talking about that military-civilian divide, you know, um, and you're a connoisseur of geek entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, um, stuff like Captain America and, like, all this other Wonder stuff, you know, Woman. that has Wonder Woman, which has military in it. Do you ever watch that? In fact, I don't think that, you know, that's that, that's not accurate, that's not right. Are there, are there some examples, you know, what do, what can comics do to be more representative of actual military life? I think uh, J.B. Cortez had the nail on the head during the panel, and that is hire us. <laughs> hire us as consultants. Hire us as actors. Hire Hire us as directors, hire us as writers. Hire, I mean, we can be on all aspects of the um, of the entertainment industry, and we can be there as advisors to say, "Hey, you know what? That just looks ate up. So that, that just that does not look right. Like we need to fix that uniform. We need to fix whether it's that movement, that tactical movement. I mean, we're there to show." this is where an accurate portrayal is because I think it, it came up in the, in the panel that suspension of disbelief is really necessary for depicting military stories. So, um, so yeah, but I think lately I've seen a lot of good stuff. Like I said, Wonder Woman I loved. And so I've been seeing a lot of good stuff that's really been pushing our stories out there and doing it in a real way that you can connect with. So back on the PTSD topic, uh-huh. there's been a lot of accurate things in the media about PTSD, but have you ever seen things that are like, no, that's not how it is at all. That's like either a way worse showing us like people with PTSD as bad people or no, that's not hard enough. Yeah. I think it's hard to, to judge the accuracy of PTSD. And here's why I say that is because everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own range of experiences. And so I don't want to ever say to another, you know, fellow vet or to anyone, frankly, struggling with mental illness and say, well, that's not right. You you didn't get this right. Um, Because maybe it is how they're experiencing it. You know, my experience isn't their experience. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to, to judge. I'm here to validate and to simply say, you are a part of this conversation. You do deserve help. You do deserve um, people to listen to you. And so, um, um, I, I don't judge accuracy. Unless it's completely out of the realm of reality. Right. I respect that everyone has their individual tale to tell. Right. Now you talk a lot about um, how you're 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 living your life in a lot of intersections, right? And it, a lot of people would argue that you're quite an exception to what represents this community when really you're more of a rule, you know. So how do you take that and be, and use your platform in a world that's mostly um, cis, you know, predominantly white male mm-hmm. in a world that does not, like, emulate that at all? Yeah. You know, how do you champion that? Uh, um, I just try to be real. I really just try to speak from the heart. Um, I try to speak with passion and conviction and, um, and I don't, you know, BS with, with 
with what I see and what I experienced. You know, I experienced a lot of, um, uh, you know, like we're going through, you know, Me Too and the Me Too movement right now. I raised my hands from the first ones who said, yep, Me Too. Mm -hmm. Me Too military. I experienced it in the military. I experienced it as a civilian. Um, I've experienced as a woman of color um, in, in microaggressions as a woman of color. I have been, you know, I when I worked in jobs, I was an intelligence officer, and I can recall where I was briefing a general officer, and I got the the standard, you speak so well, you deliver yeah. that so articulately, yeah, right. Hey? Right. and right. I'm dying inside, <laughs> right. I'm ready to force choke right. this right. Token, you know, I know that it's important for me to maintain and yeah. just do my job because that's what helps him overcome his bias. Right, yeah. And that's what I do for my platform is I'm going to overcome your bias and I'm not going to get preachy about it. You're just going to see me for pain. Yeah. And I'm going to speak for others like me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Really Thank appreciate it. Hi, here we go. Hi, here we go, folks. Mm -hmm. Dr. Murphy. Hi, how are you? Hi. Hello. It's a pleasure to meet you. Good to meet you. What's your name? Keith Chow. <laughs> Good, Good to meet you. Hi. Shauna Lawson. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Yes. Too. Anita Ray. Hi, Anita. Nice to meet you. Hi, Brian and Kramer. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Hi. Hi, Benjamin McIntyre. Well, good to meet you, ben. Josh Bertone. I'm very, very honored that you're here today. Thank you. Good to meet you. Hi, Patrick Change. Hi, Patrick. Pleasure to meet you, sir. Emily Witt and I write for Comic Mix and also work in the Department of Labor. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, my God. I'm the yeah, attorney with DOL, so. Yeah. Wow. And in my off time, I do. That's funny. That's so incredible. it's, it's I a, and I pleasure to meet so you. So oh, nice. I used nice. to contract with them. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is fantastic. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to have you here, and um, obviously, Obviously, this is an important topic on which you were invited in to speak from your completely different perspective than the comics and everything. What's your experience been with this? Oh, I love being here. This has been such a fantastic experience for me. Um, you know, I, I really believe strongly that that the world of entertainment, whether it's through comics or through TV shows or through movies, is a powerful vehicle through which we can change how our country thinks, not just about PTSD, but about emotions and emotional well-being more broadly. And, you know, we live in an age where people aren't getting all their information from one place. They're not, uh, you know, listening to lectures all the time to figure out how to think about issues like mental health. Uh, but they are spending a fair amount of time engaging with uh, various entertainment uh, products. Uh, and again, whether that's video, whether that's print, uh, I believe that these are, are vehicles that can really help shape how people think about important issues. And uh, I'm so glad we had this conversation on PTSD today. That I was, uh, I really enjoyed hearing what the other panelists had to say. So I know that stress can cause uh, certain things with the point and uh, other parts of the point. So does PTSD like have any physical? Like that we havoc on certain physical features with you, other than just making you really, yeah, just other than you would. Yeah, so it's a really good question, and the reason it's such a good question is there's a fundamental principle under uh, that underlies your question, which is that there is a connection, a very strong connection between our minds and our body, 
right? And while that seems obvious, it seems obvious that your head is connected to the rest of your body, the truth is the way in which medicine and society have functioned for a long time has been to treat those as two very separate entities, right? So people, uh, you know, doctors have traditionally focused on healing your body, uh, but have not paid nearly as much attention uh, to your mind and to your emotions. When it comes to PTSD, what we find is that many people who are living with PTSD uh, are experiencing a high degree of stress. PTSD uh, is a stressful condition uh, for many people. It involves higher rates of anxiety. It involves depression as well. Uh, and we know that stress has a negative impact on our body. But there are two types of stress, right? So there's acute stress. So if I, for example, go to the gym and I pick up a barbell and I lift that, right? I'm stressing my muscle. But if I stress it and then I relax it, and I stress and I relax it, and I stress and relax it, over time I'll actually build that muscle. But imagine for a moment if I take a barbell and I hold it for 24 hours like this, I'm going to actually do a lot of damage uh, to my muscle. And, that, that, and that's the difference between acute and chronic stress. So when you have stress that's prolonged, experienced over a long period of time, that can increase the level of inflammation in your body. And that can lead to damages to your tissues, to blood vessels, can increase your risk of heart disease, of diabetes, of arthritis, and a host of other physical conditions that we really care about. So that's why it's so important that we recognize that PTSD is not just a whole separate illness that's out there that's disconnected from everything else. Uh, but, you know, it's connected to our physical body. Our mental health, our physical health are, in, you know, are, are tied together. As a, person, as a person of color, have you... Uh, notice that it seems a little bit less um, okay to associate PTSD with people of color than it is with someone who isn't a person of color? Like, have you found like there's a difference in how people react to people with PTSD that are of people of color? Nice question. Um, if I, gotta, can I, I want to zoom out a little bit to your question because I think you're hitting on a really interesting point. I do think that there, I have seen differences in how some people, not all people, but how some people have interpreted physical symptoms and pain uh, and anxiety and depression uh, when it's being experienced by someone who's a person of color. Uh, and you know when I started seeing that was actually from the very beginning of medical school. I remember the first time I went into the hospital uh, and I remember one of the doctors uh, you see, took us to see a, a, a woman of Hispanic origin uh, who was experiencing some anxiety. Uh, and then right after that, we went to see uh, a, a woman who was white who was also experiencing anxiety. And I was so struck by the difference in how he talked about this too. Uh, and he really downplayed the symptoms of the first woman, saying, ah, you know, this uh, folks like this who come in, you know, often have complaints like this, and we can't get too worked up about it. But with the second patient, uh, you know, her symptoms were taken a lot more seriously. Now, that's not everyone. You know, the, the vast majority of doctors and nurses that I have worked with have actually been very good about recognizing that these symptoms, uh, you know, they're important to recognize regardless of the, of the racial or ethnic background of the person they're coming from. You know, but but that is, you know, I think an element of um, discrimination that we have traditionally seen in that process. We know, for example, that when it comes to pain, that we have traditionally uh, done a worse job at recognizing and treating pain 
uh, in minority populations compared uh, to main, the mainstream population. And so, yeah, this is this is why health equity is, is such an important uh, issue and a value for us to infuse into medical training, into our public health strategies, and to our overall awareness. Because until we've ensured that we are not only uh, treating everyone the same, but ensuring that we are getting everyone to equally as good outcomes for their health, then we can't rest. We can't be satisfied. And thank you for using equity and not equality. Um, I want to take it one step further because you talked in the in the panel a lot about emotions and how emotions and showing emotions are often affiliated with weakness. When you the ear theory is that it's more of a strength. So how do we help people who struggle with managing their emotions get to a place where it becomes something that empowers them and not something that drives fear in them? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, so emotions. There's a whole range of emotions, right? And but broadly speaking, we have negative emotions, we have positive emotions, and our positive emotions can be extraordinary sources of power uh, for us. We know that, for example, when you're feeling inspired about your work, you can do more than if you, you know you were paid a little bit more. Sometimes, I mean, that inspiration can be so much more powerful as a driver than, than money. Um, similarly, when you're excited about an idea, you might stay up all night working on that you know idea. I mean, your positive emotions can drive you to doing. Extraordinary things, and of course, the most powerful positive emotion of all is love. And people do incredible, crazy, uh, extraordinary things. Uh, uh, and so, positive emotions extraordinarily powerful. But if, if you want people to be able to harness the power of positive emotions, you really need to not only help them recognize the power of emotions, but also help them understand how to manage negative emotions. Because all of us are going to experience negative emotions. We're going to have anxiety. We're going to have anger. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be disappointed. Um, and the real question is, what do we do in those moments? How do we react? Uh, and this is why I've become particularly interested in school-based programs that teach children how to recognize and manage their emotions from an early age. You know, I never had those kind of programs in school when I was growing up. But I just recently, a few weeks ago, visited a program uh, in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, so it was a program called the Ruler Program that is an, an implemented in an elementary school there that's been teaching children about how to think about and interpret and manage their emotions as well as the emotions of other people. And I, when I went there, I was so struck by how fluent the children were in talking about emotions. It was amazing. It was, I, I felt like I was talking to a group of, uh, of people who were maybe 20 years older than they actually were. Uh, but I also know people who are 20 years older who just don't know how to talk about emotions. So the point is, it's a, we have to, in the same way that, rec that managing your physical body and getting physical, physically fit is a skill that you have to learn. Emotional fitness is also a skill that has to be learned. And right now, our default position as society is that you should get that from somewhere, but it's no one's responsibility yes, to make yeah. sure the children have it. We yes. think it's a school's responsibility to make sure you can add and subtract and multiply and divide. Right. We think the school should make sure you can read and write. Right. But whose responsibility is it to make sure that our children are emotionally fit, to make sure that they know how to manage their emotions? That doesn't fall in anyone's box right now. And, it, and the fact that it doesn't is a huge disservice to those kids, and it ultimately adversely impacts all of us as a society. 
society. That's why what I think we need to do is we need to recognize that our emotional health and well-being is a powerful force uh, that informs how kids perform in school, how people perform in the workplace, how and how people are in terms of their health. We have to invest in research and understanding how to enhance emotional well-being. And we have to invest in programs that help kids from the earliest ages understand how to manage their emotions so they can build a strong foundation for a healthy, productive, and fulfilling life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, It amuses me to no end that you're wearing a literal red shirt because I've always said that Alvarez is like the red shirt that like is somehow still alive. You know what I'm saying? There's so many times where like every single cop is like either slaughtered by like Jerome or Jerome or or Zaz. And then at the end of last season, you have the Alice Tech virus. I'm like, oh, they're going to shoot him. They're going to shoot him. Then you just got knocked out. So uh, why do you think Alvarez has, you know, survived when others have gone quietly into the good night? Um... I think, well, number one, I mean, if, if, if they're going to remain consistent with the comic books, Alvarez is a comic book character, right? He was in the New 52, the Catwoman series, and he doesn't die. So if we're going to follow that, then that's probably why I'm still alive. I think number two, you know, Alvarez strikes an interesting balance in the GCPD, right? He's, he's I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain his role in the GCPD. I'm always arguing with, with Gordon and, and with Bullock and stuff. And um, I don't know, uh, I... I, I I, after the season finale of season three, when I read that script, I said, oh, my God, they're, they're killing Alvarez. <laughs> and then I found out that I was coming back. Uh, you know, it's, I, was, I was happy, of course. But you just, I don't know. You know, I, I think at this point, being one of the few detectives, right, who's still alive, it'd be nice to see Alvarez a bit, bit more employed, right? Maybe deployed to some of these, these, uh, these cases that you always see Gordon and Bullock going on. And I said, Suspect that that's gonna happen really soon. Ooh. Yeah. All right. You know, so. But I, you know, ultimately, I think I think Alvarez, Alvarez, you know, he's earned his his, his way, and I think he's earned his, his time on in the GCPD, and I think it's time that we we see a bit more of him. So you're talking about the new Fifty Two and everything. It sounds like you're well versed with the comics. Were you a fan beforehand? Did you know about this character beforehand? I, I I grew up a diehard Punisher fan. Okay. Like, yeah, super diehard. Um, I didn't know about Alvarez, to be honest with you. It was actually uh, someone on social media that tagged a picture of Alvarez, the comic book character, with me. And I'm like, man, that guy looks like me. <laughs> That's so cool. They're drawing me. As a, and then I get, no, no. It's, it's the other way around. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, obviously I want to be as informed as possible and I want to do my homework, right? So I went and bought every comic book that Alvarez was ever in. I actually uh, reached out to uh, to uh, the creator, Judd Winnick, and Guillaume March, who drew Alvarez, and uh, asked a bunch of questions and stuff. But really, I'm the first human to play him, so I kind of don't want to, you know, be tied on to too much of, of what he did, and I kind of want to figure some things out for myself. Yeah. Yeah. How do some other characters, uh, as a fan, that you want to maybe bring to the screen? You're oh, interested me at all? personally? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Blue Beetle? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think Blue Beetle, Diablo, right? I think so too, man. Can you make a call? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. He's like, don't call, no. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I think it's it's kind of. Uh, I said it out there. I'll say it again. It's a unique opportunity to have somebody like me, right, who served in in the war and and in the mean streets of New York City, to bring that level of authenticity to a comic book character would be awesome. You know, and um, I look forward to that opportunity one day. You know. Yeah. So obviously, um, <laughs> to add to that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to add to that. Being an actor before I got before I joined the military, I was uh, I acted in high school. Okay. Went into the military, started acting after the military. Yeah. You give me hope, brother. So That's awesome, I bro. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> um, obviously, comics can run the gamut from very silly to very serious, and Gotham is on the more serious side of the show, and PTSD is a very serious issue. Yes. Um, do you welcome the opportunity to address such issues in entertainment and how have you uh, experienced that so far? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's 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 about time. We've been at war now as a nation for over 15 years. Many of our young people um, are veterans now themselves, you know. When I went to the uh, invasion of Iraq, it was 2003. So some of the kids, they were little kids, now they've gone, we've been at war so long that now they've gone, they serve. So I think I think that the, the fact that we're talking about it is a positive, not a negative, but I want to make sure that we're being truthful. Post-traumatic stress doesn't mean you're going to come home and shoot up a school or a post office. That's not what we're talking about here. We're saying that you can have it, but you can overcome, you can fight through it, you can get help, and you can come back and do amazing things. You can you can be uh, soccer coaches. You can be principals at schools. You can run co- corporations. Hell, you can even come back and be Detective Alvarez on a show like Gotham. That's right. You know, and that's the truth about what it can be. You, can you know, be right here recording you. That's Boom. Right. That's got to be the first round of applause at the press. Right. <laughs> Thank you, God. Yeah, yeah. But that's the truth. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, how do you think Alvarez? experiences PTSD with him seeing all of these cops die and him surviving. I think one of the ways that Alvarez could experience post-traumatic stress is he doesn't really have a lot of friends on the show. So maybe he could be an introvert, right? Someone that maybe feels a bit alone in all this. Maybe he's incredibly frustrated, you know, with the fact that he can't be used more. Because one of the things that veterans experience is when you come back, when you're in the service, you're in charge of like millions of dollars worth of gear and then when you come back you're in charge of yourself and so maybe Alvarez feels like if he was used a little bit more he'd be more gainfully employed he'd feel more useful so maybe that's one of the ways you know but I think that's a great great question that was the last question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. We saw you. We saw you hovering. Now, maybe Alvarez can find a friend in Detective Harper, because I kind of feel like as both of like the background cops of like the series, like... You know what I'm saying? In my fan mind, they're secretly hooking up. <laughs> oh, so, to Harper. be honest, what you're saying is you just thank want a friend on the show? I just want a really friend. Writers to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always very interesting when they have their characters with a profile such as yours because they're not the hero per se, but they're a very important bridge between the hero and the civilian. Oh man, it's funny how many uh, fans write to me, you know, uh-huh. saying, you know, Alvarez, you know, <laughs> it's it's you would, you know, I, I never. I don't know. Right. I try not to get too like, oh wow, they love me. <laughs> <laughs> My friend uh, Jan, who's one of the hosts on the Gotham podcast, she like, she's like, I love Alvarez. Tell him Jan loves him. Jan, well, tell Jan I said I love her. Oh yes, 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 yes 
understand. Well, thank you, thank you guys for your service. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Once that was done. We had a little bit of a break, so we went to visit the DC booth. Uh, this DC pop-up booth was... So, tell us a little bit about that, Ben, because that, that was pretty cool. So, the DC pop-up booth was this really cool thing that uses, like, kind of walk-in, and, and you find um, a bunch of Funko Pops, which are the best thing ever. I have three right here on my desk. And now I have two because I've also been converted. There was like a homeless cop one and a bull. And I was like, oh my gosh, only $10. I got to get one. And then like, I was like, but he can't be by himself. So I got him a little bullock to, you know, have play. Yeah, we're like. addicted. <laughs> Stella got us into it. Blame Stella. Yeah, Stella was like always trying. Stella's always trying to get people on the Funko craze. And I was like, I didn't realize they were so cheap. I thought they were like 20 or 30 bucks. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, the DC booth, uh, the, you know, they also had a lot of comics and some, some cool t-shirts like um of different comic covers and stuff and uh ben- yeah they had like a fun black lightning one mm-hmm. they also had this thing that explained exactly how people make a comic yeah the, these life-size pages that show you each stage from like script to inking and stuff like in a flip book and then on the other side there was these life-size covers, you know, of, like, you know, the different iconic covers, like, you know, Action Comics 1, Detective Comics 27, all the way up to, you know, like, even more recent stuff, um, like the New 52. That was pretty cool. And there was a heater there. And um, what can people get for free at this DC pop-up booth? Jitter's Coffee. (laughs) DC Jitter's Coffee. It's normally CC. You find this in pretty much every episode of The Flash. So if this happens again and you are in the D.C. area, I highly suggest that you go and check it out. And the funny thing is, like, you know, I talked about the open bar earlier and Ben and I don't drink alcohol. So, like, we really didn't get much use out of the open bar aside from soda. And just like with jitters and the free coffee, neither of us drink coffee. But, like, we're still like, oh, this is cool. This is just like the show and they have the logo. So (laughs) we got some coffee cup souvenirs at the very least. And uh, and they also had Injustice. Um, you know, you could play like a demo of Injustice, which was pretty cool. Which uh, we did while we were waiting. At oh no, it was actually the full game, not a demo. Oh, it was the full game. Okay, yeah. And usually when you're at like these big conventions, there's kind of a long line for those. I think that because of the weather, it was really cold. At least you know, cold for this Florida boy. That uh, <laughs> I mean, we just got to go right up there and play. So that was nice. So yeah. That night was the Black Lightning premiere, which uh, was also in the museum. And like with Gotham by Gaslight, uh, you know, we got to, they had popcorn, they had, you know, different things of candy and sodas. So that was a really cool experience. And by now, Black Lightning has aired. So, you know, hopefully yeah. you've all seen it. Uh, but we saw it first, so respect us. <laughs> yeah. We saw it first, and it was pretty awesome. What was one of your favorite moments from that pilot? The harpoon guy. That was epic. To- Tobias Whale, yeah, who uh, who we ran into later that day and told him to, you know, we, we thought you did a good job, but if we see a harpoon, we're going to back away. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was a it was a good experience, and it's fun to watch these things with a group because you get like everyone's reaction. You know, like you know when Jefferson's ex wife tells him, you know, go get our daughters back. You know, everyone's cheering and people, you know, laugh during you know the funny parts together. So that 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 was that yeah, was... it's kind of like those sitcoms where you hear like that and like that <laughs> and that and like the background. It's kind of like that. But it's not, like, every three seconds. 
Yeah, kind of like that show we were watching at the hotel in the morning, Full House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so once that was done... With Netflix now has... Just kidding, I'm not going to do that. They they totally do, though. Like, <laughs> Netflix totally has, like, a sequel show, The Full House. This next part was probably one of my favorite moments from the convention. Um, there was an after party for the premiere, you know, and it, and it was invite-only, not open to the public, so... Uh, uh, we oh gosh yeah it was like a Twitter golden ticket yeah I kept on seeing people on Twitter like begging the publicists like please give us a ticket so we were bussed over with a bunch of other reporters it felt like we were like the White House press corps because they usually like bust them all together um, from the museum to the Museum of African American History where the after party was held for the Black Lightning premiere and the- which you should totally go there Donovan. It's yeah. a really nice thing to see. John, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's Donovan should have been there. He 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 would have really loved it. He he's he's told me more than once since this was over that like he wish he would have gone. But uh, the decorations, talk about the decorations because that was really. Oh cool. gosh, yeah, they had like arrow flash Gotham seats. Yeah, it was awesome. The couches were decorated with images of like DC comic stuff and. If you, if, I had a girlfriend in high school who, like, you know, she would go to a party and bring a book and read. And, like, if you're one of those people, this is the party for you because on the lounge chairs, <laughs> they have a bunch of DC comic trade paperbacks, which I was like, oh, wow, that that's pretty cool. And, of course, um, once again, open bar and um, really awesome buffet. And I was... Oh, gosh, yeah. And I, I was like, kind of regretting the fact that I ate so much in the press room because... There was so much good food at this thing, and again, you know, we were all we were still dressed up in our suits from earlier in the day, and it it's cool because at this party you're running into people from other Warner Brothers shows. You know, you have cast members from Gotham, Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, and Supergirl, and you know, Arrow. Like, there's so many people there, and you know, it's cool after seeing Black Lightning to run into the cast at this party and be able to say, "Hey, you did a good job." You know, I loved that the rest of the museum was open during this thing too, and. Uh, we got to take a few selfies with, you know, different cast members of different shows and stuff, too. And uh, can I tell about the bet that, you know, Will and I had with you that you didn't do? Okay, A, the opportunity never arose. <laughs> so there was a live band, you know, with with like with a singer there, which I thought was pretty cool. So um, another reporter who I've run into in the convention circuit in the past named Will, he works for Bleeding Cool, we were saying the band were like, oh... If people start dancing, you got to ask Cameron B. Canova, who plays Catwoman, the dance. And Ben's like, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll pay you. Like, I think it was originally like 20 bucks, and then I upped it to like 35 or something. And then Will's like, I got 30 bucks on me too. So like, we bet Ben 65 bucks to ask Cameron B. Canova the dance. But alas, the uh, <laughs> I told him, I think you're safe. I think she left, but then like she came downstairs from seeing the other exhibits. We took a picture with her anyway, you know, doing our Catwoman hiss things. But yeah, give me. 10 bucks for that. Oh, for the picture? How about I buy you a Funko Pop from that of Black Canary? How about that? (laughs) How about that? Are there any other moments, you know, where, oh, and like these neon DC logos, like this, and and we got goodie bags that had comics in it. We got Cress Williams, who plays Jefferson Pierce Black Lightning. We also played Autograph Mongo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, got some autographs. What are some of your favorite moments from that party? We have a notice from uh, Twitter. Doing that, um, we did this big thing. Like, um, we didn't realize that there's a lot of big Martin fans, 
that are like, oh, oh my gosh, you missed more details. Well, we, 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 we got to give context for this, but Robin Lord Taylor, who plays the Penguin, he had a sidekick for like two or three, or about three episodes this season, this little orphan boy who would wear a notepad around his neck because he couldn't talk and he would communicate with Penguin that way. So as a yeah. joke, we're like, hey, you should totally go up to Robin Lord Taylor with this notepad around your neck and get him to sign it. So we did, and I put it on Twitter, and that night, holy cow, I got like a bunch of retweets and people being like, you know, I was crying, I, 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 this got me so emotional, I was like, wow. Okay, and like the Martine has from Gotham, who's no longer on the show. Maybe he'll be back. I don't know. Has a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we and, need to share this with the showrunners. So they put him back on mm-hmm. to make all those fans satisfied. Do you have any other um, celebrity encounters from the party that were notable for you? Um, Butch, we got a good picture with. Who? Say it again. Butch. Butch. Oh yeah, Drew Pal. Yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> Which, uh, that, that was fun, too. And and also, like, I just love kind of, like, instead of, like, I love interviewing these people, but it's fun to see them, like, casually at a party and just talk to them. Like, Sean Pertwee, who plays Alfred, we ran into him. We had, like, a two-minute conversation with him about, you know, the premiere of Black Lightning, because he's like, that was really good. That was, and he was joking, that was almost as good as Gotham. <laughs> so, it's... Which, obviously, it isn't, because it doesn't include Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. You can be an intern for another year. I'll have Dustin review your visa now for saying that. <laughs> so after that, you know, we um, you know, splurged a little bit on Uber, took a town car and went home. And then the next day, we um, you know, the convention was over, but we went back to DC just to see the DC pop up shop one more time and get some Funkos. And you know, Funkos, Funkos, Funkos. <laughs> We returned to D.C. the next afternoon just to see the D.C. pop-up booth one more time because they kept the D.C. pop-up booth um, open one day after the convention. And it was just like, this might be our last chance to see this thing, you know, and uh, and buy more souvenirs and stuff. And then we did some sightseeing since we didn't have much time. It was Martin Luther King Day weekend. We saw the Lincoln Memorial. But then, uh, so how does this convention compare to San Diego for you? Okay, so... If this was bigger and had just a little bit more things there, then and like had that like fun little Pokemon fan booths and stuff like that, I would have loved it a billion to one. But because it was on a smaller scale, wasn't as fun. <laughs> but you still had fun, right? You, yeah, you gotta yeah, you gotta do it positive. <laughs> yeah, if it was just longer on an on an and on a way bigger scale, oh gosh, yes, ton to one. I, I, but just I, because. Comic-Con's bigger. I think if it was on a bigger scale, it wouldn't have worked as well. Like, I think that because this was smaller and because it was... I really wish that they didn't announce it at the last minute, but because of all that, you know, like... Because it was smaller, it was easier for them to manage things, and, like, you know, we were able to have an easier time with things like the press room, and we didn't have to deal with as many of the... Not eating. Yeah, not eating, because at at these conventions, you sometimes don't eat for, like, an entire afternoon. Like, it's like, okay, we have, like... One hour. Let's run and find a restaurant really quickly before the next thing. Like it's it's really hard to eat at these things. Um, there's things I definitely like about San Diego better. That being said, in terms of the press room experience, this might be the best uh, press convention wise I've ever been to because I loved the way that they treated us with the food, the open bar. You know, again, we only had sodas, but you know, <laughs> getting even getting like popcorn and stuff during the premiere. You know, they 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 pampered us, and that party was like. One of the coolest things that I have ever done in my life. Uh, so, 
<laughs> Those are my thoughts on the convention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, mm-hmm. un- so until next time, this is Josh. This is Ben. We're with the Batman Universe, and we are signing out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. <laughs> you can you can tell what what your primary source is. Yeah, subscribe to the Batman Universe's YouTube channel. You know, <laughs> in addition to our podcast feature. Most guys take sides. I go both ways in DC. Take note, go both. That you want me in DC. Worry about one of them like it's Donovan and Jan, Jan the new person for Gotham Chronicle, like. uh Talking Wait, about. who's new or me or Jan? Um, it really depends. <laughs> I guess technically you, because Jan did the call-in show last year at uh, the season finale, which was like a month before you went to Comic-Con. Oh, gosh. So she I'm tra- beat me by a month. Yeah, I guess she beat you by a month, so... <laughs> What it's basically going to be is, like, then we did the Gotham by Gaslight thing, which had this person, this person, this person, and then we say a comment about, you know, like, if we have a comment... How bad they were doing it! Oh, yeah, and then... Okay. Is that the the Demogorgon? (laughs) The what? (laughs) The monster from Stranger Things. Like, I just heard... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no, that was me moving all of my like my keyboard back into position because I have my papers where I normally have my keyboard. He's gonna take you to the upside down. <laughs> um, do you want me to? Mom, all my homework's done, and I just checked on school again. <laughs> uh, hopefully. Hi, mom. <laughs> Uh, we're trying our best to make it a half hour. He thinks like the podcast will be like hours long because of all the interviews, but this hood should hopefully be a half hour. Okay, let me just go collect my daily chest. <laughs> yeah, and when am I going to start getting paid? <laughs> JK. <laughs> it's not enough to fly you across the uh country and buy you suits and take you to fancy dinner parties you want. Oh no! It'll be enough to buy fun Funko Pops. (laughs) Oh, and and to get a Funko Pop. You know, interns like, typically don't get paid. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That was just me messing around. I I know, I know. Um, Mom called it a job, so I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? Okay, continue. And these other names. Jim Krieg, who was the writer. He, he oh, yeah, guys, just so you know, is going to be the don't, criminal no, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> I'll let it that out. But... And then we had... Why you... Um, we're recording. It, it's, I could edit her out. <laughs> or, I, or I'm putting her on the bloopers. To just like, I don't know, hashtag on Twitter, let me say thanks for the spoilers, okay? Don't cut that out, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so.